see it from here what podcast yeah sure i don't know right whatever yeah, i don't great. know this movie doesn't dialogue movie. yeah you should have just done a plane <laughs> just make it made a plane noise <laughs> ben and i were talking about podcast. <laughs> how nolan was just obviously when he's pitching the movie he's just like i love the idea of nolan coming in in his crisp crisp suit right hair mm-hmm. slicked back mm-hmm. and just give me a moment to sit up here and then took out his shoebox, placed all his miniature tin airplanes on the floor. That he had, like, personally built in his right, garage. Right, Yeah, took a deep breath and then went... <laughs> and Chris here is a check for $200 million. 20, 20 against 20%? Is that, that, that's good? Here is a blank check with Griffin and Dave. Uh, if only they had said that to him. This is the name of our podcast. Mm-hmm. It is called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David Sims. We're the two friends as a hashtag. It's a competitive advantage. No other podcast has that going for it. We do. Here's another thing about us. Kind of source of context. <laughs> You're all over the place. I'm trying to do sensory overload oh, a la sure. Dunkirk. I'm uh-huh. trying to fucking blitz your brain. This podcast is about Fumaki. Mm. Uh, filmmakers who have had massive success early on in their career and they give a series of blank checks sometimes those checks clear sure sometimes they're clear yep sometimes they bounce baby not this time not this time this time it's it's clearing for sure and it's a, a real blank check of a movie it is in a weird way even though it's a war movie yeah the, the horriest of genres yes Um. this is the last film mm, mm, mm. Mm, sad emoji. until his next film but of this miniseries, yeah. At that point, it'll be a it'll be a one off. Mm-hmm. It'll be a, a throwback Thursday, exactly. When we cover another throwback Sunday, another Nolan, because we've been talking about the films of Christopher Nolan. It's a miniseries called the Pod Night Cast. Podkirk. It's called Podkirk. Mm-hmm. This is Podkirk. We're talking about the movie Dunkirk. Yeah. Which came out uh, what a month and a half ago now. Not even uh, a month ago. Yeah, yeah, a little more than a month ago. Six weeks ago. Came out mid, mid, middle of mid, July. Mid July. That, that, that sweet spot in July. Yeah. So we're, t- we're tipping into September right now. Yeah. And it's still uh, it's still going strong at the box office. We'd said in our Interstellar episode that Dunkirk wasn't coming anywhere close to Interstellar's box office. I think it's going to pass it in the next week or so. Yeah, it's it's doing a great job. It's doing a great it's job. It's also been the worst month for movies. After, I think, an okay summer. This, like, the last few weeks have been uh, Excuse me. Have you not seen Leap? <laughs> I have not seen Birth Leap. of the Dragon. I is, mean, not. Is, is it Leap colon Birth of the Dragon? <laughs> yep. yep. It's right. one movie. It's a mashup. Uh, Weinstein cannot afford to release movies anymore, so he's smuggling movies inside of other movies. <laughs> to Leap Fever? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we are only days away today, two days away from the uh, release of Tulip Fever. Have you seen Tulip Fever? Honored guest? I have not. You want to introduce our guest? Uh, Sure. He's uh, my favorite critic to read about. Hey, read about. You don't like reading his work. You (laughs) like reading other people. Read read his writing about Christopher Nolan. I wanted him on this podcast, and I'm sorry we couldn't get you on Interstellar, but scheduling was crazy for Interstellar, just because I feel like 
you're the you're the biggest Interstellar fan in the world. If I'm if I'm a big Interstellar fan, I, I, I'm a very big Interstellar fan. I don't know if I'm the biggest fan. If you want to do an installment different. of Tars Talk, we can put aside a little time in this episode for some Tars Talk, our regular segment. Oh yeah, we're just going to do that every week now. Now David Reese makes it clear he actually likes Case more than Tars on that episode. That makes sense. I mean, David Reese is a real Case. Yeah, he's. <laughs> Uh, uh, critic for the Village Voice, which still exists, yes. still exists, <laughs> still exists. <laughs> it's still here still in exists. in online form only, sadly. Yeah. But um, welcome, thank you so much. Happy for to be here. Fan uh, of the podcast, huge fan, fan of the podcast. I'm pleased to report that I am actually an hour into this podcast already. While you guys are at the beginning, <laughs> You're, you are at a different temporality yeah. than us. And Ben right now is a week ago. Yeah, he always is, though. That's <laughs> yeah. that's not unusual. Yeah, producer Ben, the Ben Deucer, the Poet Laureate, the Haas, our finest film critic, Dirt Bike Benny, Soaking Wet Benny, the Fart Master, the Meat Lover, the Fart Master, the Fart Detective, <laughs> the Fuck Master. He's not no. Professor Crispy. He is the Peeper. <laughs> yeah. He's graduated to certain tells over the course of different miniseries, mm. such as <clears throat> producer Ben Kenobi, Kylo Ben, Ben Say, Ben Night Shyamalan. Say Benny thing. Uh, Aliens with dollar sign. Warhaws. And announcing it here. Sure. Perdue Bane. Perdue Bane. That's what you settled on. Perdue Bane. Not Ben Kirk. Not, ben Kirk's good. Not yet. I mean, look, when he catches up with us, he can, he can reckon with <laughs> I'd it. I'd visit the French town of Ben Kirk. Get a croissant. Uh, yeah, Dunkirk. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey, everybody. Settling um, in. So, so this... Uh, <laughs> This this movie Nolan makes Interstellar, sure. Interstellar does well, but still we talked about was kind of viewed as a disappointment. I think just in the light of how huge his he has a high his three bar, previous movies have been, right? And, and also how previous sci fi movies like that had done. Yes, right, yeah. right, right. right. Gravity right. the year before wins Best Director yeah. and makes like crazy amounts of money hand over fist. Right, there was sort of this revival of adult sci fi that's still been going on. It's weird, like, every year now, there's one high-minded adult sci-fi movie. Well, you, if you think of Arrival last year, what's this year? Uh, I don't, uh, I guess this year, Blade Runner's, like, the closest equivalent, right? Was, well, yeah, was was Arrival and The Martian the same year, or were they different years? No, different they're, years. they're different years, right. The Martian's 2015, Arrival's 2016. Right, but there's, like, one kind of, like, real-world hard science. Oh, Valerian, that's Which everyone loves. That's Life. <laughs> Life. Well, hey, not a bad movie. Yeah. You, you haven't seen Life? No, I, I, had I a hate great... that director with a passion. He's what, the what, safe house guy? Safe, the no safe, one is house safe guy, house. the child 44 guy. I have oh, not right. seen either of those movies. Oh, awful. Yeah. But Life, you know, the, the whole muscle. Is he the snab cash guy or whatever that He is, is the snab cash okay. guy. People love that snap cash, right? I have no idea what you guys are talking about. He this is my job. cash Easy Money? Right? Yeah, he did this movie called snab cash parentheses Easy Money. Love the title. Which was Dutch. Is he Dutch? No, no, he's he's uh, Daniel Espinoza is his name, isn't he? He's uh, Scandinavian. I think he's, he's Scandinavian. Because right? that's where like Joel Kinnaman came from. Yeah. Oh, sure. Like well, he's Swedish. Overseas yes. Yes, he is Swedish. And I think they made like four of them. And they were always saying they were going to like adapt it with Shia LaBeouf. Snabacash. Snabacash. Or wow. Zac Efron. At some point, I think Zac right, Efron right. was attached to it. Right? He gets floated for a lot of Scandinavian remakes, <laughs> I suppose. But Snabacash, they were trying to make Snabacash happen. What's what is I guess there hasn't been a big sci-fi movie this year yet. Uh I guess Blade Runner. I guess that's the but one. That, that's, right? But that's it's weird because it's a sequel. But I think we're thinking more like space movies, right? And right. Because I feel space like it's that movies. run of like Which Life was definitely trying to position itself as one yeah. of those. Also, yeah. passengers definitely thought they were gonna have that last year. Oh, and then sure. Arrival came in and 
had an interesting strategy, which was to be a good movie. Mm. Yeah. That was their strategy. was, what if good? <laughs> um, no, but Arrival, Gravity, Interstellar, The Martian. I feel like there's one more. I feel like every year between, like, September yeah, and December, fall. there's been one kind of, like, this is a realistic look at space. Um, yeah. They're spinning. There's a lot of spinning. <laughs> space has got spinning now. <laughs> Space, uh, now with more spinning. I'm not seeing anything. I'm sorry. Okay. We're, we're lacking one this Whatever. year. Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, that's there hard sci-fi. <laughs> um, hard like a Ragnarok. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think the expectations are very high, and it's sort of like, you know, has grown since then. It wasn't like a total flop, but it was kind of like, what, is he, what does he do now? Sure. What does he do now? Batman's done. You're not doing Batman. Right. Right. Um, and there were, there were, I feel like rumors for a while circulating things, but he keeps a tight lid on it. I guess so. And There's then, always his Howard Hughes. He plays movie. it close to the chest. Right. <laughs> Very close to the chest. Uh, right. Like what's he going to make now, for example? It, that's the thing that happens after every Nolan movie where, where right. I think to myself, well, what the hell does he do to kind of. Yeah, impress people again. Yeah, because you have a lot of big directors who are like, well, I'm going to go make a small movie now. Sure. And usually it's because they've done something bloated and right. obscene and annoying <laughs> like you know michael bay or somebody yes but with nolan you know you don't necessarily i mean i would i'll watch I, whatever he does but you don't necessarily movie. hear him say i'm gonna make a small movie now no right you know. well he's very good about not uh being an asshole about his brand i would say largely agreed but uh I, I, in in terms yes. of where thinking people would care to hear that you know i, think, I mean i care to hear it, yes but. He's in a very interesting position because, like, as Alex Ross Perry very astutely said in our Insomnia episode, he's one of, like, two or three living filmmakers who can, like, call the shot and force the entire industry to change if he decides to do something. Okay. In yeah. terms of, of actual filmmaking process, release strategy, what have you, you know? And I think he, like, takes that responsibility seriously. So while, like, I would love to see him make a little movie, not because I don't like the big ones, but because it would be interesting to see him go back and forth, I think he's, like, I got this power. I got to do big things to try to like advance filmmaking. Um, so it kind of becomes this question of like, I guess what genre is he going to take on next? Like he's weirdly in that sort of position mm -hmm. now where it's like, oh, a sci-fi movie. And he's then talked he about making a horror movie. It's hard to imagine him making a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I can see him producing something, you know. I mean, he produced yeah. Man of Steel. And Transcendence. Right. right. Yep. Lest we forget. <laughs> Gone, Could, but never forgotten. Maybe yeah. he'll make another uh, Singularity movie. Yeah, I, I'd love to see him use because he's done that thing where he, uh, you know, a couple of years ago with the brothers Quay, where he yes. Yes. you know helped his, take their his, films around and did like a little documentary and mm -hmm. actually yeah. did appearances with them. And then right around that same time, he also released the Blu-ray of Zviagintsev's Elena, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, right. Um, he's been like paying for like restorations and yeah. stuff. He's kind Which of is like, sort of the yeah. Scorsese like Scorsese yeah. like uh, uh, film mode, foundation, yeah, where you're like, yeah, yeah, you're trying to have some of that stuff. But, and also, I think maybe a little bit like Coppola in the sure. '70s, right? Yeah. You know, there was that period. I mean, because there was that period where Coppola was like indestructible, right? And he yeah. and he Un until he was like destroyed, he was, right. <laughs> <laughs> utterly destroyed. loudly destroyed. Um, <laughs> and he did like the Napoleon tour. And he stuff. did Napoleon. Right. He helped. He helped get Kurosawa films yeah. Yeah, produced right. and released. And I Lucas mean, did that too. Lucas, Lucas like, did it. Right, Tarantino yeah. did it, although it yeah. didn't really always work for him. But there was the in the 90s too yeah. where Quentin Tarantino Chunking presents Chunking Express. I, I think the problem was that Weinstein ultimately abused that. Yeah. I think he started like turning Tarantino into a brat. Are you saying you don't have tulip fever? 
Someone asked us on Twitter if we were going to do a one-off for Tula Fever, and my response was, how can you do a podcast on a movie that doesn't exist? Were you, have you haven't seen it. Were you invited it. to the screening that they then called me and said, we're not going to have the screening, uh, the day of the screening? And I was like, okay. I think I was. And they were like, instead, so. we will not be screening the movie. Like, it wasn't like, they're like we're rescheduling it to this day. It was like, so we're not going to have this screening, and instead there won't be screenings it's of the so film. It's so weird. I mean, because the film has come out in other places. And, and people played, have said, like, it's, it's bad, yeah. but, like, it's not like it's, it's some, it's whatever. Like, right, yeah. horrendous, misshapen. Like, it's just like a crappy movie. No worse than the last movie they made. I mean, there must be some weird contractual thing. Or maybe, I mean, it, there's also, I mean, let's not forget Harvey is known for being vindictive with his film releases. Sure. So. Yeah, but he also has this thing where, like, he had some upfront deal. Let's get into Harvey talk. Yeah. He had some deal. Poor Christopher Nolan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he, he, is, he, he hasn't been talked about much. Talk about he, he has this deal with Netflix where they, like, offer him a certain amount of money upfront for, like, 10 releases a year. Mm. And some of the movies he didn't want to release started, like, oh, I'll put it in one theater so then I can put it on Netflix the next week and, like, get my money back. We're doing that thing where he, like, siphoned them off to the Lifetime channel. Sure. Which he's done with, like, two or three of his, like, long-delayed movies. He did huh. that with Grace of Monaco, and he yeah, did it with Sweet Frances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, where, like, suddenly it just quietly airs on Lifetime as a TV movie. <sighs> yeah. So the, like, the Tula Fever thing's very bizarre because it's, like, he's used other escape routes to not release a movie. Right, but this is, maybe that, he has some clause where he has, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's that said, he has made me want to see Tulip Fever. Right. I mean, this is I'll kind of amazing. I never psychology. wanted to see Tulip Fever until now. And now they're advertising it as the sexiest thriller of the year. Yeah, the movie that Harvey Weinstein doesn't want you to see. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the tagline. Uh, did you read about, I think someone tweeted that there was like a SAG screening or like a DGA screening where literally people were in line. It was and a WGA screening. And they came out and were oh, like, right. actually, no. never and mind. And someone put out a paper sign written in ballpoint pen that says, sorry, screening canceled. We are showing Annabelle. <laughs> Which I think is you should see the sign because it's so like plain and just sort of like there's no malice to it. It's it's a sweet little sign that someone drew for the WGA crowd. But I just love that like you're like, man, I can't believe they called me and canceled the screening two hours before it started. It was like six hours. Okay. And those people were like, man, I can't believe they wrote a sign and told us the screening was canceled 30 minutes after the screening was supposed to they start. They should have just played Annabelle and been then been people were like, that was Annabelle. They'd be like, no, that was Tulip Fever. Yeah, you didn't catch it? You didn't catch the fever? <laughs> yeah, that was Tulip Fever. Anyway, see you later. <laughs> Please leave. Um, all right, Dunkirk. So, okay, but Dunkirk. this is one of those movies like Inception that mm-hmm. he has had boiling for like his whole career. Like he came right. up for a, the idea, he was like on the beaches in the '90s with his wife, and was like, "A Dunkirk movie should be, should be done." But I don't yeah. have the the money or the skill yet, or whatever. And he he just sort of had it in his pocket, right? But they I feel play, like he always has them in his pocket. They play this movie very close to the chest. He, uh, <laughs> damn it, he doesn't talk about it much. There's very little kind of information circulating around. Uh, the couple big actors who were like cast in, in smaller supporting parts, but then it was like, oh, he's mostly using Unknown. Harry Styles is in it. All I knew is that Harry Styles was in it. I didn't know like Ryan Lance or Brando were in it until I saw the trailer. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I knew very little. I just knew he was making a Dunkirk movie. Um, I never try because he, he hides it all the way anyway. Sure. I never really try to sort of dig in. But everyone kind of assumes like, okay, Christopher Nolan's doing a war movie. He's going to go fucking huge. Mm. He's going to make right. this He's going to make the longest day. Bombastic. Yeah, right. Like, is it going to be two parts? Like, what kind of epic is he going to build? And then he releases this weird 
90 minute, like kind of like experimental exercise. Almost. It's 105 minutes. But I remember okay. when the when the news broke that it was 105 we short, minutes. It was everybody was like, what the fuck? Right. And His shortest movie like ever, if you exclude following. Right. Should be excluded. Yeah. Right. Which he made for a few bucks less than this one. Which was an SNE mutual, I think. <laughs> that was part of his fatty Arbuckle deal. Um. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, no, I do remember. We say it on this podcast, I think. You're like, did you hear how short Dunkirk is? Yeah. And it's it's nuts. It's nuts. After Interstellar, which is his longest movie and is long. Right. I and love it, but it's, it's almost long. three hours long. It's long. Yeah. And when the early like word comes out, people are like, it's like, it's very short. You like don't really have like character arcs. There's like very little dialogue. Uh, like, yeah, where it's, did like, you see this? this? Experimental, experiential movie. Because I saw a Lincoln Square Press screening. I assume you yeah, did as here. well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had had like some of my friends had seen it already and told like I just remember Ehrlich saying, "Think Captain Phillips, not Saving Private Ryan." Like that was all mm-hmm. he sort of said to me. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, like what did you expect going in? I didn't know much going in. One friend who had seen it uh, earlier said, it's insane. And that was kind of all he said. (laughs) Sure. It is insane. I think that's apt. That's good. Um, I think that's good. And uh, so I was, so I was prepared for it to be (laughs) insane, whatever that meant in the context of a Christopher Nolan movie. I was Uh, prepared for some sort of a sensory experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But that's about it. I don't know. I was a little frightened. And I'm, and it is a different well, it's also that that very first shot. That very first shot of the soldiers walking through that town with the papers, with the, uh, the, the leaflets paper. flying. And also yeah. it's it's weird. And when I saw it again, I I I caught this, although you know, it's it's like it's hard to catch this, but um it, they've just like stood up or something. Like it's just like a split second sure. of them cowering and then they kind of stand up and sort of start walking more casually. And it's such a weird way to begin, and, but immediately pulls you in. I, I agree. And the, uh, the, he, he literally sums everything up with just like a one or other leaflet, you know, the we surround you. The, like, you, propaganda. <laughs> you, us. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's just that like loud, clangy, like you saw it in Lincoln Square too, yeah, right? Yeah, like, I did, the the yeah. big IMAX in, in New York City. And uh, uh, the gunfire where you're just like, Ugh, and then that's the whole movie. <laughs> right. Is you going, At oh, that point, God. Right. Um, but, but also, like, the thing that strikes me in that opening scene is he, like, kind of throws down his gauntlet, which is like, this is not a movie about the enemy. Right. This you're is not, not a movie the about enemy, the fight. Sure. This is a movie right. about survival because it's just, you're just hearing them. Yeah. yeah. You're exclusively hearing them, which immediately is like, very unusual. Hmm? It, it it adds a really strange energy from that opening scene where it's like we're just watching the back of this kid's head. Yep. Yeah. Fionn Whitehead. Right. Yeah. It feels like he's being shot at by ghosts. Sure. Because he's framing it so particularly around this uh, dude who is like, you know, uh, like like such an ideal cinematic cipher. Mm-hmm. Like Nolan found this kid who like had done one short film before, I believe. Uh, one yeah. episode of a TV show. I'd never been in a movie before. He'd been in like some miniseries. Yeah. Yeah. And just like has one of those faces where it's like, yep, that looks like a kid in war. You know? Yeah, no, he does. And he, he has does. a certain like integrity to him, but is asked mostly to just like su- survive throughout this entire film. Mm-hmm. But but also this opening sequence, there are like eight or ten 
boys who look like him. Mm-hmm. I know watching it, Just I was like, down. which yeah. one's like the lead guy? Sure. And then very quickly, like through process of elimination, <laughs> you're oh, like, well, it. I guess it's... that's our hero because everyone else is dead now. Uh, the opening is actually, I forgot, of course, it has that, it does have that um, title, yeah. uh, the mm-hmm. title card with the, uh, yeah. you know. The enemy. The, the enemy and praying for a miracle or whatever. You know, right, they're that. good people on both sides. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on many sides. Uh, on many sides. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Many sides. When did you, because you were making the tick. Yeah. I saw, I saw it like, uh, I, I guess it was, I saw it like maybe two weeks later. Because yeah. I was making the tick and then it came out when I was at Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. And then I was back shooting this other movie. So I saw it a little bit late. But I saw it at IMAX. Yep. Uh, Lincoln Square. And by the point I had seen it, it was like firmly in like dad mode territory. Right. Like I had like missed the the Nolan bro window of like the, the rabid Nolan stands. And I saw it in a theater that was mostly like fathers and grandparents with their like children being like, no, this is important. <laughs> right. Sure, sure. You know? Um, I mean, you texted me after you saw it and said, I'm very curious to see what you think about this. Right. Cause I thought, you know, I thought of our Saving Private Ryan episode. Don't like war movies. Right. You don't like war movies. And I this have a hard is time a, with them. Yeah. A war movie with everything stripped out, like that you might cling to. Like, it's just a war movie. Right. Or, uh, yeah, sentimentality. <laughs> right. Right. And I like, you know, it has some sentimentality. I was very shell shocked when we did our Saving Private Ryan episode. Mm-hmm. Like I was but Donald like, Trump had like just been elected president. I was of the fucked States. up by a lot of yeah. different things at that time. Mm-hmm. But I just like that watching that movie the night before recording, I was like fucking losing it. Like mm-hmm. white knuckling it the entire time. And I feel like my my opinion of that movie has grown since we recorded the episode. I feel like I was very complimentary of it, but I also no, was sure, like but you were I just can't not fucking deal it. with this movie. Yeah. Uh but when I like think about it more I don't know if I have the courage to watch it again. I think about it more. Right. I'm like, God, that's what a great fucking movie. But all the things I think about when I replay it in my mind are like the dialogue scenes, the character interactions. Tom Hanks shit. The Spielberg shit. Right. Right. And this movie is like, what if it's just like the the storming the beach of Normandy in one way or another, like the entire movie is operating at that level of intensity with very little else to grab onto. So it's like, it's a movie designed for me not to like it. Sure. That haven't been said. I like it. Sure. Like, Do you I, like it? I so you, you. I love it. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Like I, I feel. How like, many times have you seen it? Four. Wow, wow. that's a lot of time. I've only seen it that's twice. Awesome. I yeah. want. I wanted to see. I, ch- I checked it out in thirty-five millimeter. A friend yes, of mine was seeing it. Yes, I did too. I have still not seen it in just regular seventy millimeter, and I would like to. Oh I no, right, no, I saw it. In, sorry, I saw it in yeah. seventy, right, which is which was great. I had right, I have not seen it in regular yeah. thirty-five millimeter. In thirty-five on a smaller screen, which right. is what I saw it at the, uh, I guess, uh, Village East or sure. what's the, um, and uh, it it feels like a different movie. It really does. Interesting. More so than any of his others did, kind of in different formats. I mean, the 70, you know, there was a lot of format excitement around mm-hmm. this movie, yes. certainly. even I think even beyond, like, film Twitter or Nolan Bros or whatever. Like, I had, like, a lot of people in my life just asking me, like, how should I see it? Like, I know that's important. You know, like, but what that, should I do? That's the point is, like, he's able to make these things feel sure. important. Like, people yeah. know that these aren't arbitrary decisions. And, and even just, like, they made those T-shirts that they were, like, handing out at the midnight screenings that were, like, I saw Dunkirk in 70 millimeter. Jesus Christ. You know? Did like, they? it's like a vacation. Like, I just, I find IMAX very, very overwhelming. In general, I found it very overwhelming for Interstellar. I found it very frightening for this. I can't handle how big mm. it is. 
Uh, especially when there's a lot of negative space, which this movie, yeah. especially in the air scene, yeah. which just makes the air scene so tremendous to me yeah. in IMAX. And then I saw it in 70 and I I had seen it already. So obviously like a lot of the tension is uh, gone the second yeah. time anyway. And I had a great time, like, you know, but I mean, was that just that I was seeing it? A second? I, can't, I can't, you know, it's hard for me it's to. It's weird. Without the IMAX, it, it, it really does feel like a different experience. It, it, you know, not less immersive necessarily, sure. but but it does feel you know strangely a, a little more unified. Okay, and it's not. It wasn't as loud. Also, it's which, just I mean, very I, very loud. Yeah, I IMAX. like yes. big loud movies. I love IMAX. Yeah. I've been waiting for years for someone to use IMAX properly. Yeah, I think Nolan does it. But even, but you know, when I saw Interstellar, first time I saw Interstellar, I saw it in thirty five. Sure, um, and I loved it. And I think the second time I saw it, I also saw it in 35. I finally, you know, went and saw it in IMAX. And I actually found it kind of distracting in IMAX mm. because it cuts between. It does cut. The cut is so harsher. So much. Right, right. Whereas right. this, the cuts are much rarer yeah. and briefer. And, it, and it's like 80 Where you can see percent, the bars. 75% it's, IMAX. It seems like 70. I, I couldn't, you know, I'm not a man. It seems like 65% here. of the movie is in yeah. IMAX. But it, yeah. you really, I mean, I guess it mostly cuts to the black bars where you're like, you know, on the on the boat with uh, Ryland. That's yeah. what I know. It was mostly for dialogue because it's a sound issue. Yeah. You know, but there's not much dialogue in the way. So the boat stuff mostly felt like it was like it was 35, and then a couple of the Branagh scenes where he talks for more than 10 consecutive sure, sessions. Sure. You know, but other uh, than that, the like large majority of the movie is in this crazy boxy, overwhelming. Like, that's the other thing. Like, you see IMAX movies where people shoot, like, oh, we shot 20% on it. Right. And it's, like, mostly you're watching a letterbox image that you're used to. And then everyone's all, oh, my God, TARS is taking up the entire screen. TARS! <laughs> right. No, I mean, I remember it with Catching Fire, the Hunger Games movie, where it's not in IMAX until she gets into the arena. And then mm -hmm. it suddenly expands out. And I remember being, like, happy that they, like, tried to take advantage of the format yeah. that yeah. way. But uh, rarely do you really, like. I right. Mean, well, I loved it in Interstellar, yeah. but it was my first time, and I loved space. Just, but yeah. I sit in the back. Yeah, because I'm sit closer. I'm yeah. a, right. I'm a little dork who wants to sit in the back seat because I'm scared of the big picture. Right, and, and I was, of course, you know, they call me Patricia Hayton because you can see me in the middle. <laughs> so I was <laughs> sitting in the for me, that's at, where I'll at be. my press screening. I'm sitting in those back seats, and this guy is sitting across from me who's got like all these papers around him, and he's like, "What are you doing back here? You should sit over there." And I was like, ah, I like to see the whole screen. Yeah, I just want to sit. And he was like, I'm only sitting back here because I have to do all this work for the studio. Like, I, he was like taking notes the whole movie. Yeah. And she was like, but Mr. Nolan sits right there. And he like pointed right in the middle. Like, he's like, that's his seat. And, uh, and I was like, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's keeping it warm for you. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like there there is an an innate glass ceiling to my enjoyment for this movie just uh -huh. because of the kind of film it is. But I definitely sat there and felt like, okay, this is like pretty exemplary filmmaking. This is an insane achievement. I like game recognize game, you know? Right. One master of IMAX to another. Griffey Nooms tipping his hat to, to Nolan. Um, but, but it is, it is a very bizarre movie in that it doesn't, offer you the traditional handles to sort of like hold on to and carry you through the story other than the Rylance plot I would argue which unsurprisingly was the thing that I was the most keyed into a nice British man driving a little boat <laughs> a nice man with Going nice clothes uh, so so the gimmick 
of the movie, if it if you can call you can call it whatever you want, but the you know the format of the movie is that these three the timelines. Cons- right. We are hashtag the, the two friends. Exactly. These are hashtag the three temporalities. <laughs> And uh, I remember reading that beforehand and thinking like, oh, that sounds like a Christopher Nolan thing right there. Yeah. But did, I liked that the movie is more, is very, tries to be explicit about it. Like the, the mole one week, you know, the the sea one day, the, the air one hour. Right. It it lays out its cards real up front. Mm-hmm. And I, I, to me, at least the second I saw how it was laid out, it was like, oh, this completely makes sense. This isn't like a gimmick for gimmick's sake. Made sense to me. I mean, did you have any trouble? I've seen some complaints about the timeline. I've seen my share of complaints about the timeline. I never really understood what the problem, because I guess it's hard to articulate like finding a thing confusing, but. Yeah, and I, I, I didn't find it confusing. I mean, and there are moments where you're disoriented, but I think in a pleasant way. I mean, I, I think Nolan likes to be a, a, a little ahead of the viewer at, at, at various points. Sure, yes. Um, and I think he likes to kind of pull you in in that way. Uh, I mean, with a film like this, I find it so engrossing and beautiful and just riveting mm-hmm. that it makes me an attentive viewer, mm-hmm. right? And that's one of the things that Nolan does that, that, I, that I really appreciate is that he finds a way to make sure that you're paying attention. Like it's like in the prestige. Are you are you looking closely? You know? you're, you're absolutely right. right. Yeah, he's right. He's trying to make sure your mind doesn't wander. Right? Yeah. yeah, and I'm I am I am by nature an inattentive viewer. Like I, I, I mean, a lot of <laughs> I, films I, I review, struggle with it. Yeah, a, a lot of films I review, I have to watch twice before I can kind of figure out what the hell I even think about it. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's why with with Nolan, I'm I'm never distracted. You know, I'm ne- I'm never kind of pulled out of it almost never pulled out of one of his films. I mean, I'm always kind of locked in, even when I don't know entirely what's happening. I'm, yeah. I'm totally with him. Well, there's this other element too, which is like, you know, time is obviously this like a big overarching thing in Nolan's whole filmography. You know, like yeah. there's the shift of like, I think his movies, like when we were starting the miniseries, I was like pushing this, this confidence <laughs> thing <laughs> up the hill this, really hard. Yeah. You know, uh, oh, it's yeah, all yeah, about yeah, confidence. Yeah. At a certain point, it like shifts into being about time uh-huh. more than anything, like his fascination with time, which I think falls into this bigger thing he's at, which is like, I, th- I think to one degree or another, Nolan's always making movies about movies. But unlike some filmmakers who get like tagged with that label and it's like, oh, they're just referencing the movies they grew up loving. Mm-hmm. I think Nolan movies are about the way that people process movies. Yeah, you know, like I think they're movies about watching and processing information mm-hmm. and and how information is told to us and all of that sort of stuff. Like, I mean, Inception, like it's that's literally what that movie is about. The reason why everyone's so into like the metaphor uh, about it tracking for filmmaking is because it's like, you know, he's like the BFG. He's trying to like cook up some dreams for us. You know, he's trying to like make this artificial world that like we can buy into. And then he casts the BFG. Right, right. In this movie. Yes, yes, he does. Yeah. Uh, which I I thought there's a weird amount of farts like. <laughs> In, on the moonstone. The scene where they run out of like gas on the boat and Rylance <laughs> just powers it through farts. You're felt in, a little. You're in oil, me. you're in oil. And he's good. Hey, fuzz wimples get me to Dunkirk. farts and it explodes and everybody burns and dies and drowns. <laughs> Yeah, it just felt like that was a weird meshing of tones because on one hand, something very tragic's going on and sure. on the other hand, the I mean, dogs Tom, are farting. One also, Tom Hardy really could have used it more. You know, like he's the yes. one who's really got a fuel issue in this movie. Right, now. right. He should have started farting in that tank. <laughs> when his propeller stops turning and then he has yeah. to fart to get right. it going. Right. You just see him this with a so can of beans. so inappropriate, by the way. <laughs> they're they're yeah. people, you know. 
Yeah, yes, yes, it is. Yes, you were correct. It is very inappropriate. <laughs> was the Saving Private Ryan podcast like this? Yeah, uh, worse probably. Yeah, probably, probably worse. Good, probably good. worse. Um, um, yeah, we're we're irreverent uh, jokesters. I would yes. say. Yeah, um, <laughs> irreverent jokesters. Right. But but I think this like idea of, of being so fascinated by how things play out in real time, like people trying to fight against time, yeah, hits like this yeah. this boiling yeah. point with this movie. But the other thing, you know, that I think stops it from just being like a gimmick or Nolan doing it for like the sake of Nolan loving disjointed narratives and all of that is that like if you were to try to construct this movie chronologically, Tom Hardy would only be in the last like ten minutes. Sure. Yeah, you know, it just yeah. be, it, and I think it would also. I, there's just like something horrifying and very uh, suspenseful about the mole stuff for the first half of the movie because you know nothing's going to go right, right? Because you know they're not making it off yeah. the beach, right? So all of their schemes, such as they are, such as like let's try and get on the boat with this guy on the stretcher, and like let's try and crawl onto you know, like yeah, you're just like oh god, like. But, but that's the point is, like, if you were doing it in order, yeah. most of the movie would be these guys just not getting saved. Uh, sure. Before right. these rescue missions to come after them started well, very late yeah. within or the narrative. Or you just start on the last day, but then there's nothing right. as but, but he doesn't allow it. doesn't right. allow you to experience just the, the desperation yes. of these people right. just waiting there. Exactly. And, like, I mean, like Saving Private Ryan, you know, you heard at the time veterans say like, oh, it really captured the experience of getting off the boat and just walking into chaos. And I read some interview with a veteran about this movie. He said it's better than any. It got the idea of how miserable and scary it was to have to be dive bombed. Sure. You know, to just hear that noise for like a while. Have nothing you can do except just like lay on the ground. Right. And just hope you don't get blown yeah. up. And it also captures that thing about those those German bombers, which was they could pretty much fly vertically, right? And right. um, and that great shot, which is you know, which which justifies the IMAX on its I, own agreed. of just that head and in the, the noise, foreground. yeah, of that head in the foreground with that tiny tiny plane in the distance, which you can see it so clearly in IMAX, yeah. is just so well done, yeah, and just so terrifying. It's very frightening, yeah. it's, especially the first time, and it's. He just makes it like inhumanly loud as it should be. But that's a good point you make, which is like we're watching this movie. We know the different timelines going on. Mm -hmm. So you're like, well, there's I mean, they're not going to get saved now. Sure. They're going to have to live through this because the first thing they do. I mean, well, oh, right. We should mention. Okay, so like, right. We we talked about the scene where he's running to the mall. He gets to the mall. What does he try to do? He pulls a real Griffin Newman. Finds a uh, oh oh he, he tries to poop. tries to take a poop he yeah. tries to take a poop Luke, which forgot. is something you don't see in war movies either too which I will say you're, you know there. what you're right this is a good way to get me locked in on a character <laughs> yeah especially for a movie that isn't going to do a lot of character building it's going to ask you mostly just like accept this kind of like cipher character yeah if I see someone taking a deuce I immediately like you're I feel like in I'm in their headspace and yeah. it's very and that's and that's the other thing about this film in a way much more than his other films it's it's very intimate in that way yeah, that's very true right. his, he usually yeah. it struggles with intimacy yeah. I would say yeah and 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 the fact that this movie is basically one giant insane combat set piece mm-hmm. in some way and yet it is in this movie that he achieves what is probably kind of his greatest moments of intimacy is quite ironic I would say and, and yeah. also kind of his most probing specific kind of human tragedy which is this guy has been holding in a shit for a week because he's there on the beach and he's trying he's trying he gets performance anxiety well he sees a guy uh burying another soldier on right. the beach just a little farther away right and uh and they 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 Goes join in, up helps yeah 
Uh, David Kambari. This is um, an I got Anurin Barnard. I heard the act. That's the actor who plays uh, Gibson. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is uh, he's a he's a he's a Welsh actor. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. But that is kind of the quiet through line in this movie. Like in the same way that Bridge of Spies, like is Tom Hanks going like, I just want to get home and get into bed. I think uh-huh. Fine Whitehead is just like I. J- I just want to take a shit. Yeah. I've been holding in a shit for a week. I've had the worst week of my life. It's a bad week they have. Yeah, and I cannot find a toilet anywhere. Well, look, it's like twenty four. Like he probably goes eventually. You know how like so. people are like Does I don't Jack think Bauer so. I ever think go to the bathroom? It and it's like there's and, some when we're cutting away, he's managing it. And, and another interesting thing about the the whole taking a shit <laughs> narrative element is. You know, one of Christopher Nolan's favorite movies is The Thin Red Line. Uh-huh. And yeah, a great movie. In The Thin Red Line, the novel, there is a great scene where a character tries to take a shit. Really? And uh, a Japanese soldier comes on him and he he has to kill the Japanese soldier, you know. And it's actually the character played by Jared Leto. Sure. In the movie. And I believe they actually shot it for the film but wow. didn't use it. And it's actually… I think is it Jared Leto? I think it's Jared Leto. It might be one of the other, but but it's it's another it's another character who we see very briefly in the movie, and I believe they had shot that scene earlier because it's like the first it's like the first person that any of them kills or something yeah, like sure, that. There, sure, there's right, some right, right. you know there's some you know very emotional element to that kill happening in that scene. So I'm sure that Nolan, being Nolan, being kind of an obsessive geek about this yeah. stuff, probably is remembers that scene. I mean, yeah, I, I'm sure does. that that's, yeah. You know. yeah. I mean, considering the things he includes in this movie, which is a, a bullet train of a movie, right? Yes. The, well, the, let me the, just he puts that in there. Yes. Quickly, interesting trivia fact. I don't know if you know this, but to prepare for that role, Jared Leto sent a box of shit to every one of his castmates. <laughs> and that's a big cast. <laughs> that's why Clooney was really mad about He the sent movie. them all poop. It wasn't that he got cut out. It was, it was the box. Actually, okay. This that is was the, the only way he knew how to get in a character. <laughs> this is true, by the way. Apparently, on the, sh- on the shooting of that film, Woody Harrelson, whenever he was on set, was often like right off camera farting in people's faces. <laughs> <laughs> why? I've heard this. Apparently, it's a thing. They, uh, they, he just they likes to do like that. They were there for like a year. They were there for like a year. They were wherever they shot like the Philippines yeah, or some like, like was, jungle territory. Yeah, and apparently, you know, Woody Harrelson was just, you know, just going around like shitting in the background. Ten to things. Woody Harrelson. That's a great bit. <laughs> Ten background points. Yeah. And also, I mean, you know, whatever works, like clearly sure. the results they got out of everyone. Maybe Woody Harrelson needs to to fart on more sets. They shot yeah, for a hundred days in Australia, twenty four days in the Solomon Islands. Sorry, I just wanted to find out where they shot the Thin Red Line. One hundred and twenty four days. It's a long shoot. Long shoot. <sighs> All right, a lot of Dunkirk. Farts. Uh, so yeah, so we've covered the whole movie. I at think this point. Much. Yeah. So, no. <laughs> so temporarily, one. He's on the land. He's on with the this mole, guy. the right. beach. With the, the mole is these beachheads. Right. I feel like some people also get confused by that because they think there's, because there's sort of a, a spy in the movie. Not really, though. Right. But I know people who definitely thought that. That's what that referred to. Especially because it's the first title card. So we haven't set up. It's like, right, oh, right, land, right. sky, right. sea. Uh, people think it's like, oh, which one of these characters is going to end up uh, uh, getting ousted by Anderson Cooper? Yes, exactly. Great. Yeah. Great poll. Thank right. You. Thank you. Um but but yeah, I mean I think what quickly they they find They find the uh the well they're walking around and they find right. the guy on the stretcher and right. they, they they sort of run him up. This to is their our meal boat. ticket. Yeah. And right. the, well what happens is I think they see Silently. The, they see yeah. the, the 
I think he sees the stretchers. Yeah. And then and then the dive bombing happens. Right. Because and he exactly, tries to yeah. get in one line and yeah. the guy's like, this ain't your line, mate. Yeah, you yeah. know, like, you know, because he's like, whatever. It's the Grenadiers, It's right? the Grenadiers, right. Yeah. right. And then the dive bombing happens, which is rough. Yeah. But he's, yeah. But, but I think yeah. he's seen the, I think he's seen yes. the, um, he's seen the, the stretchers at that point. The dive bombing happens, and I think after the dive bombing, he and the Frenchman like kind of exchange a glance, and the next thing you know, they've got a stretcher. Yeah, they're like, let's they're like, we got to go. get the fuck out of this. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is not waiting in lines here. Not gonna work. See, when you said pulls a Griffin Newman, I thought you were referring to that because that's totally what I would do I mean, in that I would, situation. I think a lot of us would do. Yeah, that. let me just find someone who's close to dying and be like, "Hey, buddy, <laughs> oh my friend." <laughs> I would put myself on the stretcher yes, so I exactly. know that yeah, someone yeah, take right. me. Yeah, that's yeah. what they should have done. Yeah. Because, of course, then they're running uh, and they run through all these lines and you see that they're stopping French people from getting on the boats. You know, like the, you, you sort of get these glimpses of yeah. uh, how this is all being organized. They run over the little plank, mm-hmm. which is uh, I, I don't like that. That yeah. always freaks me out in any movie. I'm like, yep. oh, no. Because it's like one board, right? It's <laughs> yeah. like literally like, yeah. And three guys. Too. Three guys. Yeah, yeah. Three weight. But they do it. Three men and a stretcher. Three men yeah. and a stretcher. And That's then they worth cheering for. They get him on the boat, and of course, are it's just like, all right, get off, you know, yeah, yeah. this not for you, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. is that the entire? They don't get back. That's not the boat that they then sneak onto, is it? Or is no, it? no, they're 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 pulled off, and I, I believe that that's the boat. I'm not sure about this, but I think that might actually be the boat that Harry Styles is on. That right? sounds because originally. Gets, okay. I believe it gets bombed. Yeah, because that boat almost immediately right goes. Because yeah. that's that was the problem they had. They were lining these people up to get them onto these one these moles that had these big boats, but then the boats were such easy targets, yeah. right. and uh, that's why they stopped essentially trying the the destroyers evacuation. Which brings us to temporality to dose sneak attack. What if we have nice men <laughs> take their little fishing boats? Good British. Folk. Solid people. Yes. Um, what is interesting though is right before they cut to the Moonstone, the, uh, the Mark the Moonstone, Yeah. Somebody yells, "Where the hell is the bloody Air Force?" Yes, right. And every time I see that movie, oh, now they're going to cut to the Air Force. I'm like, no, wait, they're cutting the Moonstone. <laughs> no, no, Christopher Nolan. He's he has a plan. And I remember at first I was like, "Is he going to rigidly stick to like we go mole sea air, mole sea air, mole sea air?" I'm not cutting between like. I'm not doing like sea mole air, sea yeah. air mole, uh, uh, but no, he he just he 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 does he doesn't do that. He does so whatever he wants. He, he does, does whatever, whatever the fuck wants. he wants. He's a grown ass man. Um, so yeah, so this is a nice man with a good sweater, and <laughs> he has a fishing boat, a very nice looking uh, pleasure boat, I and and a very handsome little son. Yeah, who's his son? Who's that kid? Uh, Blondie McBritish? Uh, yeah. Christopher Tom's. Nolan Jr.? Yeah. <laughs> Tom Glynn Carney. He feels like the kind of guy who, you know, could be playing Ron Weasley, you know, like if the timelines matched up or whatever. Uh, yeah. He's got nice red hair in real life. Yes. Okay. Okay. He's got nice blonde hair in this movie. I was going to say, yeah. learn learn hair colors. But in real life, <laughs> he's got red hair. That's a good dye job, actually. Yeah, good job, guys. What yeah. else has he been in? Because he does look familiar. Uh, nothing. Like, literally nothing. He was in... Uh, the, British TV soap Casualty, which is set in a hospital, and he's done some theater, uh, but that's it. That is all. It's crazy. Good actor. He no. is. He's good. Uh, he's excellent. Everyone's good. Uh, yeah. Well, right. Oh, everyone. Everyone is fantastic. And uh, you know, w- when I did watch the film again, it really struck me how how good Killian Murphy is, which we'll he's get great. to. Yeah. I mean, but he is 
exceptional in this movie. I yeah. agree. I think he is the best performance in this film, but he is not my favorite character in this movie because I think you can guess who my favorite character is. Uh, I don't know. I'll give you a hint. He's the guy who is underqualified for the circumstances uh, oh, that he is in. Sure, sure. Uh, ba- Barry, uh, how do you say his name? Keegan? I don't know. Ke- it's spelled like Keoghan, yeah. uh, who's an Irish actor. Who Very I just good. saw the killing of a sacred yeah. deer last night, and now I hate him, and I can't look oh, at him. Okay. It really is uh, amazing <laughs> how different that character is from this one. You will really gain even more appreciation for his work in Dunkirk after you see the fucking killing of a sacred deer. I, I can't wait. Uh, I thought he was fucking great in this. He's movie. good in this. He's got a great face. He's oh, got yeah. this like just sort of like how do you put like this sort of putty face like. He's sort of frozen in this sort of like, uh, as the British would say, gormless expression. Yeah, and he's got sort of these beady eyes that are weirdly expressive still. He he looks like he could grow up to be either Christian Bale or Shane McGowan. <laughs> he's, sort of, he's, he's like caught in that moment when yeah. his fate is about to be decided by the gods and you yeah. don't know in which direction it's going to go. Right. Apparently he was in the movie 71, which I saw. Do you remember oh, that right, movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I forgot about that. I, that movie, I saw it at like the New York Film Festival or something and it's sort of... I really like that film. Mostly blacked out of my memory. I mean, I remember being... It, that was another uh, intense, rattling military experience. Yeah. Um, did, he, did he play one of the young kids in that movie? He must have. Yeah. He might, he might, let me see, let me see if he's a, no, there's no other, but yeah, I don't know. He's, he's Georgie boy. He's George. He does some work George on the Mills. boat. Yes. And then. At gets, first I thought he was their, the second son. I thought he was thought so related. Too. And then very clearly not. No, he's more just like, they're, they're loading the boat up with lifeboats and then Mark he's Rylance, boat boy. I guess, decides, I'm just going to take the boat. Yeah, he does, he does because apparently that was a problem. Right. Where the Navy requisitioned certain boats. They were literally boats. taking your yeah, boats. Right. They, 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 they got rid of the pilots. And very often, the people that were driving these boats did not know the waters. And right. a number of boats, I think, I don't know if they sank, but but like a lot of them Had just trouble. did not get to Dunkirk because they were being sailed by people who just did not know the boat or did not know the waters. Right. Yeah, but Rylance is a pro. He's a steady hand. This guy knows from the ocean. He does. He knows the sea. He's a mariner. He's a mariner. And he knows it's pronounced Dunkirk, not Dunkirk. Dunkirk. He's, (laughs) I mean, look, Rylance, it's funny because he's this incredibly versatile actor who like, especially like, you know, plays like Jerusalem or whatever, like he can do anything. And now he is getting pegged. He's getting a certain peg in Hollywood. Most definitely. (laughs) Uh, But he's great at, I mean, there's a reason to peg him there. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's something that no one else can do as well as he does. Like, like even if he's capable of doing a thousand other things, English Mister Rogers. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, what do you? What, yeah, the gentlest to, man in yeah. film. Yeah. They need to cast him as like a Mission Impossible villain or yes, something like, like that. Yeah, he'd be so a, good at that. Yeah, because yeah. uh, even if he played it folksy, he could play it terrifyingly folksy. You know? Yeah, I think he should play Clayface in the next Batman movie. <laughs> Nolan loves him. Maybe Nolan will come back. Do you think... here? All right, here's a side question. Do you think if Nolan came around to Warner Brothers and he said, I don't like the DC universe. I don't like the Joker. I don't like what you guys are doing. I'll make you a Batman movie if you just wipe it all away. They would be like, yes, yes, we will do it. You mean just get rid of all the other movies they have planned? Yeah, we just ignore... You can keep Wonder Woman. I know that did well, like, and that was good. But, like, you get rid of everything else. Oh, I, I think, I make you I think a they're movie. waiting for somebody to come and do <laughs> yeah. that. Like to say, <laughs> someone tell us what to do. Yeah, exactly. I think they're in that mode where you start like acting really shitty to the person you're dating in the hopes that they dump you. Yeah. 
You know? No, you're, you're like, right. I'm, I'm passive aggressive. I don't want to end this. So let me just be like kind of a brat so they get tired of me. It's so endlessly baffling where they're like, Ben Affleck, you know, rumors Ben Affleck's going to leave. Ben Affleck's like, I'm not leaving. And they're yeah. like, no, he was never going to leave. Anyway, the Batman movie's not going to be connected to the universe. <laughs> and everyone's like, what? And you're like, well, it is, but it won't. And people are like, okay. And they're like, anyway, Joker movie? Martin yeah. Scorsese's attached. And people are like, what? And they're like, wait, hold on, but a different Joker movie from the directors of Crazy Stupid Love. Yeah. <laughs> or the writers of Crazy. No, no, the writers and directors. The directors. The they're they're direct. They didn't Requa. write it. They didn't write it. They directed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every single announcement from them now feels like a cry for help. It really does. It yeah. feels like they're just sort of like lobbying. And it's funny because they finally had the hit this year. Yeah. Like they yeah. finally figured out like here, here's the kind of movie people are looking for, which is slightly broader and, and I don't, more open-hearted. And, and I don't even hate these movies. Like I, I feel like sure. I'm actually, I mean, I was the one guy who gave Suicide Squad like a mildly positive <laughs> You're review. You're crazy. Um, you're and, even crazier than some of those people on the Suicide <laughs> Squad. You're fucking twisted, man. Um, twisted. And I didn't, you know, and I and while I can't really say I liked Batman v Superman, no, I, didn't, sure. I didn't hate it. And I'm sorry, what's the full title of that movie? I don't recognize the movie you just referenced. Batman BVS. Uh, Dawn Justice. Yeah. Um, you forgot the uh, Justice Dawns in that movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so it's. I mean, it, it is. It's it's bizarre. Yeah. Well, it's like you imagine like that's what the sort of like development meetings within the studio are like. Okay, let's just throw some ideas against the wall. Yeah. What are some things we could do? Hypothetically, what could we do? Uh, Joker Harlem movie. Uh, a different continuity Joker in Brooklyn. Uh, Shazam fighting Black Adam. No, wait, Black Adam's his own movie. Yeah, Shazam will come later. Just Just take take a picture of the whiteboard. That's our press release. (laughs) It's literally like... Uh, We're going to do an Inhumans movie. That's Marvel. No, 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 we're going to do it. We're going to do it. It's it's fine. It's everything in their like Coke-fueled development meeting is like getting issued a a statement via statement to deadline. Like they're publicly disclosing every wanton idea they have. Yeah. Cyborg though? Yeah, I mean, what a great character. I can't wait to see it's what's cyborg, what comes out of that Everyone's box. favorite superhero. Now, is he a, he's a half-man, half-robot? Is that his deal? Well, that was historically the thing, but then if you look at the design of Cyborg in Justice League, he is approximately 94% yeah, he's robot. he's 94% robot and like three-quarter face man. He's, Ooh, I like he's that. like got the opposite of Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> yeah, right. Where he's just got the little sliver. Like if a robot lady fell in love with him, he'd be like, don't look at my human face. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's hideous. <laughs> is, well, that, is that what we're talking about here? I just, you know, they should have just uh, brought in Jean-Claude Van Damme for the part. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the original Cyborg. They should have made Cyborg too. <laughs> so in the sea, yeah. Mark Rylance takes his boat out. Yes. Georgie gets on board. You like Georgie. I love Georgie. I love Georgie, boy. He's real shit. And he goes, like, Georgie, we're not going fishing or something. We're going to fucking Dunkirk. To war. Yeah. To war, George. And George is like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know no, about I'm that. No, i to yeah, war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, cool. No, I totally knew where we were going. I did this on purpose. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I definitely don't need any kind of, like, pillow in the back of my head. <laughs> you shouldn't, like, cover up any loose, Georgie, exposed do you want screws. this helmet? No, well, I need a helmet. <laughs> I do um, like, I do like, I mean, Georgie's trajectory, though, is really fascinating because please go uh, on. I remember when I first saw the film uh, you know at the end I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of us no, but, get ahead. but, but I mean, at the end when, when you know when you see the little news item where they talk about him being a hero and I I remember initially thinking to myself well he wasn't really a hero I mean he kind of yeah, he, he on, contributes but, very you know, little he sure contributes right. very little and then I realized wait no because I mean the, the moment when he hits his head I mean he's basically stopping Killian Murphy from 
hijacking. Well, the from boat, bashing right. Mark Rylance's head in yeah, and taking right. the boat back. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's kind of a sacrifice he does because later the Moonstone is the ship, is the boat that saves, you know, Fion Whitehead and all these other guys while they're in the oil. In the oil, which is right. I mean, right. it's really. I mean, it, it, in essence, if Georgie had not been there to kind of sacrifice himself these men would not have been saved. And that's certainly something Nolan is thinking about. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. Right, yeah. Like yeah. Every, every sort of yeah. like little bit of balance, like on either side, he's, yeah. he's thinking and, and about. I mean, both of the ma- there are only two major characters in this movie that die, right? Him, Him and the Frenchman. And the Frenchman, yeah. who, who yeah. dies off screen. Who, who dies, well, it's like, yeah, I mean, he's you just see his drowning, hand. Right. You just see yeah, his yeah, hand. Yeah. But, but it is interesting how, I mean, with the, the Frenchman, he's constantly conspiring to find a way off the beach or off the boat. Sure. And numerous points saves everyone else, kind of despite his own best interests. Right. He saves everyone on the sinking boat by opening the door. And, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then later on, uh, when they're on the when they're on the, um, the 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 lifeboat, the one that Killian Murphy's on initially. Right. He's there. Yeah. He's kind of in the corner, and he's the one who, after they push them away, put the, after they push Harry and pulls them back he, on. He, right. he tosses them a little line yeah, very right. quietly so that they're pulled ashore. And and then at the end, I mean, I think he's also, I, I guess he's also stuck. Uh, but he's the last person, yeah, who has his fingers in the, you know, in he's the, the last in the person, holes, the bullet holes. Yeah, yeah, he's the last person left on that boat. Basically, mm-hmm. allows everyone else to survive. <sighs> Poor guy. Yeah, uh, that's rough. That's the roughest scene. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah, uh, well, we got one more ooh. temporality to discuss. Oh yeah. Oh, my favorite temporality. And much like Aloha, it's all about the sky. Sure. It's a conscious homage. Yes. Right. Uh, Nolan's like a huge Aloha fan. Yeah, like he big... said, I think his two cornerstones for this movie were Aloha <laughs> and The Thin Red Line. He's, he, 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 did you hear his list of movies? It's a good list. No. All Quiet in the Western Front. Okay. He likes to give his little list of movies yeah, that like, inspired him. Uh, uh, the Wages of Fear, which Scooby is obvious. Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. <laughs> Dunstan um, checks in, but in seventy millimeter, the original yeah, seventy of course, millimeter. Yes, release. Yeah, no. Yeah. If, if you're not seeing in seventy millimeter, it's it's not the same experience. Agreed. Uh, Wages of Fear, tense movies okay, like sure. Alien, uh, Speed, uh-huh. oh. which uh, is a great movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, Unstoppable, which I really which enjoyed. Is a the great idea. movie. Love the, that the Tony great Scott movie. film. The Tony yeah. Scott. Yeah, the movie rules. Oh, Tony think, Scott's it, masterpiece. And as far is as it I'm his concerned. last movie? Yeah, it was yeah. His last movie. It's a great movie. I love that movie, and I feel like it gets no credit. Oh, it's so yeah. great. When you do the Tony Scott, have you done the Tony Scott podcast? <laughs> no, we should do a Tony <laughs> Scott. <laughs> yeah, Tony Scott made some wild movies. Yes, he did, <laughs> and he definitely had some blank checks there. Uh, for sure, Domino. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I uh, love Unstoppable. Love the idea of Chris Nolan just uh, sitting down at home and firing up the Unstoppable I'm so, Blu-ray. I'm so happy to hear this. Yeah, that he was- it also like speaks to this thing, which is like all the most like intelligent directors. I find when you hear their movie taste, mm-hmm. are not snobs. Sure, like yeah. the people who are snobs are people who like revere Nolan, and they're like, "That's the only real kind of movie." Not bullshit like Unstoppable. And then sure, you ask Chris sure. Nolan, he's like, I love Unstoppable. It's a fantastically well-constructed movie. What are you talking about? You fuck, you, fuck you. Here's a 70 millimeter re-release of Unstoppable. Yeah, what if that's what he's doing next? He's like, I've decided it's my next project. I'm going to tour Unstoppable with a live orchestra. I'm going to tour Unstoppable on a train around the country. 
Uh, and no one will stop us. By the, way, by the way, getting back to that discussion, the next thing he might do, I mean, one of the things he's always talked about is that um, Howard Hughes. Yeah, the Hughes yeah, movie, film right. Film that he still says is the best screenplay he ever wrote. Which, and, is, which is quite a thing for him to be saying. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Um, uh, I, but the rules didn't apply. Like, I feel like every time yeah, he gets he gets bigfooted yeah, yeah. by some even more famous director. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the first time that happened, I mean, it was The Aviator, and it was like two of his heroes, Michael Mann and right. Martin Scorsese. And they, and they had joined their Hughes movies practically, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, Greed, Sunrise, Ryan's Daughter, Battle of Algiers, Chariots of Fire, Foreign Correspondent. Those are the other movies. Great. Okay. Yeah, all, yeah. all great. All great movies. I mean, that's a good list. Not uh, many of the more movies, though. I think he was more. Yeah. yeah. Unstoppable makes a lot of sense because that similarly is like, here's a here's a speeding train. Yeah. You know, literally. But then also all the different narratives of everyone trying to stop it. You it's know? a missile the size of was the, the missile the size building. of the Empire State Building. Yes. <laughs> uh, what a good film. It is a great film. It's so fucking cool years ago i did a i did a a list for vulture of the uh like the however many greatest action movies sure. since die hard mm-hmm. um and and i included if i remember correctly i included unstoppable on that list and people Keep got warm, really angry movie's good man I, I i should watch it again I, I love that movie um but but temporality three temporality three's in this guy uh you got three planes mm-hmm. you got fortis leader <laughs> We don't see much of him. No. Played he is, by, he is not long for this world. Played by Michael Caine. <laughs> yes, uh, right. In a right. vocal only. Oh, is it actually he, uh, No, I, I know it's Michael Caine on the the guy on the radio is Fortis Leader. That is Fortis ah, Leader, okay, which okay. I only put together later where I was like, "Oh, Port, Fortis Leader bites the dust real fast." Yeah. I don't know. Maybe 81-year-old guy shouldn't be fine. <laughs> it's Michael Caine. <laughs> do not go gently. Yeah. He should that's what he should do. Yeah. Yeah. He's, so he's an actor in the winter one last, of his life. Yeah. One last time. Tom Hardy's like, "No, no, no, don't do the poem." He's like, "Do not go gently." Um, <laughs> prank caller, prank caller. <laughs> Switching the <laughs> uh, you got Farrier, who is Tom Hardy, yes. and you got this guy Collins. I love that actor, whoever Oof, that guy that is. That guy is hot. He's very handsome. He is really yeah. good looking. You know who else is very good looking? Tom Hardy, which is why they cover oh. up 98% of his face in this movie. Well, no the one most Jack, baller hey, move of Jack all Jack Loden. He can act sitting down, though. It's crazy. He can act sitting down. <laughs> it <Great>. is. <laughs> yeah, agree. You think of lock? He's yeah. a sitting throughout lock. I haven't seen Locke. Locke is you so get, good. You get a kick He's out so of Locke. Locke. That's a seated performance. Yeah. yeah. He, he, I guess he's, he's one in of our best. Added to my list. <laughs> he is one of our best sitting actors. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. No, I mean, he is, uh, the, the, he is such a physical actor. Yeah. Sure. And yet, for some reason, because of that, it actually makes sense to have him be the guy that's sitting down. Well, I also, and the, to, yes. you know, in this one, I mean, he he does so much with just his eyes in this movie. He does. Yes. It's incredible eye acting, which he also, I think, did a good job with in um, The Dark Knight Rises, Rises yes. which is the other eye acting heavy right. uh, Tom and Hardy. He, and, and the first half of Fury Road, too. I mean, he's, yes. yeah. you know. But this it's, feels that's, like. That's very true. Right. Yeah, I forgot he has the big. This feels like, okay, so, so Dark Knight Rises, we covered up most of his face, but he's got his full body to act with. Yeah. Fury Road, it was like first 50% of the movie. We've our first twenty five percent, let's say thirty. Sure. We've covered up his face, and he's chained to a car, so he doesn't have that much range for his body. Yeah. And Nolan but was like, "Let's the, go a the, step." The next further. movie is going to be a remake of Derek Jarman's Blue <laughs> <laughs> with Tom Hardy. It does feel like <laughs> like both he is challenging himself. Like it feels like he gets off on like tying his arm behind his back and still yes, trying to I think like so. win the boxing match. 
But also, I think Nolan at this point is like, what? I mean, he, he can do it, right? Yeah, hate Tommy. Yeah, his next movie, uh, Tom Hardy's going to be- play in- Zordon. He'll just be a head. I was going to say he's going to an entire film where he's in a coffin. <laughs> we already had that movie. Yeah, but the, the camera movie. never goes inside the coffin. <laughs> sure. People are just like, he's in there. And he doesn't and talk. And credits roll. He could, yeah. do, he could, do, he could do like a, a ghost story situation. Yes. Where it's yes. Tom, Tom Hardy in a sheet. Yes. 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 Tom Hardy just walking around no, but with I like a sack of potatoes on his In head. a box and his name is Mute Bob <laughs> and everyone invokes him the entire movie and he never gets out of the box. And he gets an Oscar. Yeah. He gets exactly. an Oscar. That's his Oscar. You could, that guy just got so much presence. Oh, God. <laughs> Burning uh, up every frame. But yeah, the first like chunk of this movie, he's wearing like uh, like a mouth a mouth mask. A, a most, oxygen I mean, mask. Right at the beginning, he doesn't have yeah. it, and then when they they sort of enter, like you know, they go into higher altitude, he puts it on, and he basically has it on for the rest of the movie. Right, but then he also puts the helmet and the goggles on on sure. top of that. He gets more and more covered as the I film just, goes on. I just love, and it's in the trailer. I just love how he says, "I'm on him," because. In any other movie, he would say that triumphantly. Right. And he just says, just like, I'm on him. You know, it's, just it's like totally routine. It's work a day. Yeah. Uh, and apparently uh, Tom Hardy's grandfather had, oh, yeah? had, had flown. I mean, if you're a Brit, you know, yeah. Yeah. you, you it, may well have had a veteran parent. Yeah. yeah, had flown for the RAF over Dunkirk. So, And he got these real spitfires, which are yeah. amazing. I mean, this is where the dad shit really kicks in, I feel like. Yeah. My dad was obsessed with spitfires. as a British man who grew up after the war yeah. like they are like britain like really revere spitfires as like our last great uh like combat thing like mm-hmm. right i mean like britain has really done a lot of cool war shit after world war ii what's the line like rolls royce engines what's the yeah. he's bragging about you know yeah. sweet a sound you never did hear all oh. schnaz waters it's a, a great <laughs> it's, it's his greatest dad moment <laughs> it is. It is. And of course, it's later we realize it's sort of shading because it's like yeah. he has the son who yeah. uh, died flying a hurricane. And then Ruby Barnhill is weirdly on the boat and she goes, R-A-F. <laughs> now, you may not have heard our BFG episode, Bill, but it's one of our most celebrated and famed <laughs> episodes where he does that constantly. Um, but it's uh, weird they just keep on having her yell out the initials of the Royal Air Force it's in in Rylance's writers that she has to now be with him in every movie saying three letters she's his hype man (laughs) exactly Uh, but those Spitfires are very cool to look at, at least for me. I found I found it very stirring to see the real thing. Well, yeah, and then the crazier thing is that Nolan figured out a way to put an IMAX camera in a cockpit <laughs> so crazy. and fly a fucking IMAX camera in the sky, which is like the greatest contribution of this movie to cinema history for me is like, oh, the the closest we will ever come to feeling right. like Superman? Sure, like sure. essentially <laughs> watching those sequences... Uh, it f- feels like you're superhuman because yeah. I mean the the plot of the air temporality is just like they fly across Dunkirk. One of them gets shot down, fly some more. Yeah. Another one gets shot down. It takes an hour, and then Tom Hardy well, makes it there. And yeah. but, but but he also some, has basically an hour's worth of fuel, right? Right. That's that determines the and, length of the thing. And rather than turning around at a certain point, he just keeps going. Yeah, that's yeah. sort of his big heroic decision. He fights off some uh, some other guys. He defends a minesweeper, but the, and but, he shows but, up right but, at the end there. But, to, but, and, uh, and, and and early on, he flies over like three of the film's big set pieces. He does just yes. from the distance, which I yeah. think, which I love because also, you know, this is the kind of movie. 
conceptually, it leaves no room for reflection, right? It's just one giant montage. Which is what page. being a soldier is, yeah, right? Exactly. It's like you can't have time to reflect yeah. because then you would stop. But the film creates these moments of reflection by its very structure, which is another reason why I find the temporality, that, the temporality so compelling. Yeah. Is that it kind of creates, and it's like you would not in a movie like this or in a in a set piece mm-hmm. like this, you would not ordinarily have flashbacks. There just would not be time for them. It would right, slow right. everything down. But the film creates flashbacks because of because it can you know, go back in time. Yeah, you by see Killian Murphy the whatever, on the boat, right. and he's a mess. And then suddenly, that's my favorite thing in the yeah, whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. See him, right back. when you see him early, and he's like, "Now, now, boys, you know, everyone will get on the boat eventually." You know, right. he's like totally chill. He is literally the most chill survivor <laughs> of a ship sinking right. ever because everyone else is like Jesus we're in the fucking water he's like it's warm don't worry the water's warm yeah. enough fellas <laughs> um, and but also yeah when his when when uh, Jack Loudon goes down mm-hmm. and Tom Hardy's like oh you alright you alright and he like sort of gives him a little salute and just keeps going and we stick with Hardy and we don't resolve that until later if you watch it on IMAX and you sit close enough to the screen which no, I, I was stupid enough to do once sure you can actually see a tiny little hand come out of the plane, seen from oh. Tom Hardy's oh. perspective. It's just tiny little hand just goes like like I'm mimicking an actual waving right now. Yeah. It really is. I think it was like the fourth time I saw it That's that I actually crazy. noticed this. So you sat right at the front for the fourth time? I sat in what I thought was the sixth row, but uh, somehow was the fifth row, Uh which somehow made all the difference. (laughs) Sure. It was a little overwhelming, but at least I got to see the hand. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Little hand. Um, that that is the thing that like the temporalities thing is actually pretty pragmatic. Oh, like yeah. it, it's not that's a gimmick true. at all because it's like that's the only way he can tell this story that he wants to tell. And the fact that like we know in the same way that the the thing that's so tense and stressful about watching the mole sequences is like fuck, they still have a week to go. Sure, yeah, sure. They're not going to get out of this easily. In the Hardy sequences, you're essentially dealing in real time. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, you're not, you know, it's not a straight hour in his life and there jumps in between. But essentially, like, every minute you're with Hardy is, like, a real minute that counts. Yeah. Um, so you're feeling that sustained kind of, like, what it must feel like to to have the adrenaline of being in a situation like that where every second feels like a year. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. I mean, it, with... Previous films, and in particular, I think Dark Knight Rises, you know, Nolan has done this thing, which ordinarily you don't do, I think, as an action filmmaker, which is, you know, he will have an action set piece that is also a montage, right? Which is not a thing you're supposed to do. I mean, you'll you'll have your big set pieces, but then, you know, you'll have your montage, and, you know, those are for getting over kind of narrative prompts. Right, it's for speeding things up, yeah. But he'll have scenes where it is simultaneously a montage and an action sequence. And, you know, it's, it's kind of this editorial thing that he's been pushing mm-hmm. throughout his career. And in Dunkirk, I feel like is, Dunkirk, I feel like is the ultimate expression of that because right. the entire movie is basically that. Uh, the entire movie is a big montage. Yeah. 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 But it's also yeah. a giant yes. action set. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You're right. Uh, that was brilliant. I feel like we should just end the podcast. Yeah, good yeah. episode. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> no, we got to talk about Harry Styles. Yeah, God. How have we not mentioned Harry Styles? He's good. good. Well, uh, so wait, at the press screening you were at, was it the one that I was at where as I walked there, it was in the morning. I did and, see it in the morning. Yeah. Um, I got to the Lincoln Square Theater quite early because I wanted that back seat. Give me that right in the back. 
Meanwhile, they call me Neil Flynn because yeah, I'm in the middle every week. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Wednesdays at nine. And uh, I don't know if that's the time slot. And uh, there are like six girls sitting outside the theater. And I'm like, are you here for the press screening? Which is a silly question to ask six girls who are obviously like 19 years old. But I was, I, I didn't know what they, else to ask. They, they could be writing for any number of that's, esteemed that's, publications. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. should not. And uh, and they were like, no, no, we're here for the premiere. And I, I was seeing it on a Monday and I knew the premiere was that Tuesday they at, were the, at that theater. camping out over now. And I was like, but that's tomorrow. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, okay. They're in a different sure. temporality. They were really in a different. And then when we came out, they were like, does he die? And I was like, you want to know? Like, I was kind of shocked. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, no, he makes it. He's good. And it's a movie like, about yeah. people making it. <laughs> it's you know? true. It's, yeah. it's not a movie about people dying. Yeah. Uh, because I, when they announced Harry Styles was in this, I'm like, oh, yeah, he'll get his head blown off like in scene two. Yeah. Right. Like, it'll just be like a. A brief hello, you know. Nolan's not stupid; he gets that. Like, uh, or like, what was it? The in sync members who were in Phantom Menace. Oh, remember they that? Are? No, there's like, I think they were cut out. Were they cut out? Yeah, I but know, the, they were in this. it. That was a big thing. Where they were like, like just cameos, right? I think it was Fatone and Lance Bass were like huge Phantom Menace heads. Sure. And then Lucas's daughter was into in sync. She was like, it's Dad, the Attack please. of the Clones, not Phantom okay. Menace, to be clear. Oh, was it Attack of the Clones? Okay. Yes. Go but, on. But were they cut out of it? Uh, they were supposed to play Jedi Knights in the Geonosis right. battle. Right. They were given Jedi robes, shoes, and Padawan braids. Uh, and they fully shot two different scenes that were cut from the film. They were paired off. And, uh, you know, just I think just told, like, wave your lightsabers around. Yeah. I, <laughs> There's I say plenty this of as, pictures uh, of them on set. Like, I, plenty. I say this as... You're a defender of the prequels. I am a, de- I am a defender of I'm a I'm a defender of the prequels in general. I'm not a big fan of Phantom Menace. I, I do love Revenge of the Sith and you know, Attack of the Clones is like a roller coaster ride of scenes I hate and then scenes <laughs> I love. It just veers back and forth I drunkenly. Would agree with that. Yeah. But how fucking distracting would that movie have <laughs> oh, been if God. suddenly two members of InSync <laughs> showed up? Especially if like, what Knights. if they were in Sith like getting murdered and yeah. like Jimmy Smith is like that no! been good. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be great. Uh but that's yeah, if the Harry Styles thing felt weird and it felt when it, when it came out that he was in the movie, it almost felt like, okay, so he's doing this weird, like, sort of adult blockbuster, this mm. very kind of what will likely be a very somber movie produced at a very high budget with mostly a cast of, like, noted British, you know, uh, character actors in supporting roles and unknowns in the lead. Did Warner Brothers, like, push him to put Harry Styles in there for, like, a little bit of insurance? And Maybe. then the fear is... Is he going to be really distracting? Like, right. Are you never going to be able to get over the fact that he's Harry Styles? And especially for me, when the movie started, and you see how much it is just this like sort of collection of chaos that's ongoing, it's like, is he going to stick out like a sore thumb? I was so impressed by how well he integrated himself. Oh yeah, into the yeah he totally belongs. He totally belongs. Yeah, he does belong. It he's... took me a while before I realized. You know, I mean, I've yeah. seen Harry Styles. I'm not, I'm not a fan, but like sure. I've seen pictures of the guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so I figured I'd be able to recognize him. But it was actually like a couple of scenes in. I was like, oh wait, that's Harry Styles. Yeah, I was more ready for him. I'm not really a, Harry, but I have like people in my life who are big Harry Styles. I mean, fans. I get I knew it. People who are hyped up I, I for get it. it. Yeah, and uh, and again, I was just like, oh, he's gonna just because in the trailer, there's the scene of them in the boat with the right. gunfire hitting, and I was like, that's it. He'll just you know they'll just pop him off there. Yeah, and I think I guess there was that shot of him drowning. Uh, which I, I think is in the the first boat sinking scene. Okay, yeah. Uh, and so, but uh, and so, I had this weird tension the first few scenes where I was like, "He's not dying," 
And then um, I just sort of settled in and and uh, he settles in. I think he's very... Yeah, I Nolan mean, argues like, oh, I didn't even know who he was. And I... Bullshit. He just auditioned against other actors and I yeah. he was best for the part. And it's like, all right. <laughs> Nolan, I'm the most God. deliberate, careful filmmaker alive. <laughs> yes. I didn't Somehow Google I was him. not aware of who this guy is. Also like father of teenage girls, British teenage girls. He knows fair. who Harry Styles is. You think he's ever talked to his kids though? No. <laughs> I'm sure he's a very All his nice movies, He's apparently a, a, a very devoted family. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't even have like a cell phone, right? That's yeah. the, that's the no that's cell phone, the, no email. When he's home, him. he's home. Yeah, yeah right. You when, can't when he bother steps him. off that set, yeah. you better not be calling. God, right. I fantasize about that so much. What about Blank Check? <laughs> this is me texting you to be on Blank Check. Yeah. That's wow. what I'm saying. My fan- Griffin's giving me a real look right now. My fantasy is that <laughs> I could become as powerful as Christopher Nolan so then not have to ever respond to anything. <laughs> Yeah, well. And just be like, if I'm in a room, I'll talk to you. <laughs> well, Text buddy. messages stress me out. One day, have fun doing that. Yeah. You're uh, there. That'll be the day that everyone stops putting up with me. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Well, great. That is empirically not worth it. Bye, Griffin. Bye forever, Griffin. Um, all right. So, because we're not doing enough of the mole stuff. We're not doing enough of Harry uh, and all of them. Because we had yeah. the whole scene where the boat sinks with the jam the, the bread and jam. Which I love. And the I saw, cups of tea. So I saw this movie with past and future guest Sam Rogal. Mm. And he, uh, when the jam, when we saw them eating the toast with jam, we both laughed and turned to each other and we're like, I mean, it's just, it's so British that like, sure. Yeah. In a, on an American boat, they'd just be like, here's some fucking Wonder Bread, eat it. And then in this movie, you have to imagine that there's like some chef in the back, like furiously spreading <laughs> just the right amount of jam. Like it's so perfectly yeah. uh-huh. placed on each slice, but it like speaks to like the British sensibility where it's like, well, we, we shan't lose civility even in the face uh, of danger. Apparently, at the real Dunkirk, it was somewhat more chaotic. I, I, yeah. I can imagine. But yeah. yeah, but I love that. But I, and, and the film is so visceral and you get so into it. At least I did. Yeah. At, at that point, I was like, I really want some fucking yeah. jam right yeah. now. Also, you're stressed out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's been stressful so far. They yes. get on the boat. I'm very stressed out because I'm like, this boat thing is a no-go. This is a bad, this is yeah. not going to work out for them. <laughs> Let's We're, just this go is back night to Dunkirk. Yeah. yeah, right, guys. Just <laughs> Don't find these idiots know they have six days left? <laughs> you know, Didn't like, they read the title card? Haven't they seen Atonement? There's the guys <laughs> singing the gazebo. Go in that gazebo. I'm sure it'll be fine. This movie, yeah, this movie would be a lot shorter if they had seen Atonement. You know, like if the characters know. in the film had seen it and been like, oh, this is just like Atonement. It's like a bunch of people going to sing and Joe Wright's really going to ostentatiously glide by them it's gonna be great none of this really happened it's all conjecture <laughs> yes exactly uh but uh and then yeah then the i, I just that is uh a, a, a more visceral fear than like war for me is the uh drowning is is like a boat going under well oh. yeah that that's pretty impressive to stage uh the way he does yes and Having come very close to drowning twice in my life, Please I can say God, that it twice. Was, yeah, yeah, it was. It, you know, it. He. I mean, it's. It's so compelling watching that, and sure. just so terrifying. Uh, especially because it's like yeah, immediately very dark. It's all just like flailing bodies. Yeah, and uh, like you know the the door opening is like it's almost, it's barely perceptible except that he's looking yeah. at it. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. And then later on, there's that scene uh, when they're in the oil. There's Oof. one of one of the um one That's of the, the worst one. <laughs> no, I know. It's just yeah. like the I mean so, I said this once about Titanic too, but like, you know, boat sinking movies are really just films 
built around a collection of terrible ways to die. Yes. 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 But like that one guy who was, you know, one of the guys on the, um, I guess the, the trawler, uh, who is, you know, the, the, like the, everything is burning on the surface of the water. So oh, and he's, he's like hiding under, underneath, but he and can't then, stay under. You know, right. and he's just like, he's, but he's going to drown. So he has to actually surface Ben's and then just out. burns alive. Well, I, I have spent a lot of idle time as an obsessive, fatalistic person weighing in my mind whether I would rather burn to death or drown. Uh, okay. Like I was like, those are the two ways I would least like to they die. Which one would sure. be worse? And then Nolan's like, Hold my beer. <laughs> Burning and drowning. Well, what if both? What if both at the same time? And it's like, wait, but no, one negates the other. And he's like, no, oil in the water. You are uh, drowning in fire. Yeah, yeah I, I'm on the record as loving a wet. You're a wet, you're a wet guy. He's soaking wet panty. And, and so, you know, this is a slick flick. But <laughs> it, the oil. It's an oil slick flick. The, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's not good water. It's bad water. It's bad water. It's the bad water. <laughs> you're in oil. The bad kind. The bad kind. Uh, they need Kevin Costner to come in with his oil machine. Do you remember Or with that? his gills. Or with his gills. Yeah. No, but do you remember during yeah. the BP oil spill when he went to Congress and he is like, I have put $10 million into a machine that can separate oil from water. I, I do remember I, I that. And the government was like, we're good. We don't need it. What happened to it? Because I've actually, for some reason, you know, not a month goes by that I don't occasionally think, whatever happened to Kevin Costner and his turning oil into water? Yeah, machine? we could be using that. Yeah. There are a lot of applications for that thing. Yeah. Um, Come on, Kenny. But, but he's like, no. Yeah. McFarland USA gets a wide yeah. release, and then I release for, the blueprints. <laughs> First, I have to teach these Mexican kids how to run. But but the thing about that movie is... He's made some choices. The thing about that movie is his name is Mr. White. Because he's a white person. I don't know if you've seen it, but his name is Mr. White. I actually, I, I didn't hate that movie. I don't either. It, I think it was, the movie's kind of solid. Well, it was, it was actually, it was actually okay, right? And, it's but, Nicky Caro, right? Nicky Caro, it's yeah. Nicky Caro. a good director. I know. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really like a, mean to rag on It came like a month USA. after uh, the other one, which was terrible. Black or White, was that one? Yes, oh, that's yes. the one. That's yes. the one that I really wanted to rag on, but McFarland USA is a funnier title. Yeah. yeah. Because it's just such an uncommercial title. Well, and also, do you know that uh, uh, Kevin Costner uh, wholly financed Black or White? Uh, yes, I know. We've talked about it, I oh, believe, really? on this he podcast. He read the script Griffin and no one would make Kevin it. Costner. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah. On, uh, on the oil machine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I worked in R&D. Um, I thought he was good in Hidden Figures, too. I sort of forget that he's in that movie. He's but yeah. he's, he's a good actor. I love yeah. him as an actor. I, I will say, though, like, watching Hidden Figures, he he kind of outpits uh, Pitt in terms of eating in every scene. He does eat a lot. And I just could totally see him, like, when they were blocking every scene, being like, I need something else. Someone hand me a bagel. Like, he's one of those actors who's just, like, always trying to find other stuff to do and mm-hmm. not play up too much. Mm-hmm. And that movie was the one where it feels like they let him do all of it. Yeah. Uh, give me more chewing gum. Uh, it's great. He needs to be, he, he, somebody needs to kind of come in and do something special with he's, him. He's so powerful. A, a like, Nolan he's such a, a fucking powerful movie star. Oh, he'd be so good in a Nolan movie. Well, he was... Wasn't he cast in Eternity? Django, and then he dropped out. Oh, right, okay. And it was a character that then they folded... In, I think they removed the character after he dropped out. Oh, okay. Was it going to be like Will Smith and Kevin Costner and Django? Yeah. And then, you know. Yeah, exactly. He was supposed to be, I think, an earlier antagonist. Mm. Um, maybe, maybe, yeah, he could have done the Don Johnson part. Yeah, but it was a different part. That was huh. the thing. Don Johnson had already been cast. 
Then they cast Kevin Costner. We are redeeming way too many, right? uh, you know, aging white right. actors in this part. It's we, funny that no one's Don Johnson, or you can have Kevin Costner, a flyer, considering <laughs> yeah. that he went for Eric Roberts and all those guys. Yeah, right. Uh, no, I think what happened was they were like after Costner dropped out, uh, Tarantino was like, "Well, we just removed his character and like we gave some of the dialogue to Walton Goggins." Right, right, right. <laughs> like Walton Goggins is carrying some of the weight that his character used to have. Um. Very, very, very interesting. Um, so back over to the sea. I want to take us to the sea. Uh-huh. Uh, you've got Killian Murphy. They pick up Killian Murphy. We, right. we should talk about that performance oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. and that whole segment of the movie, which I, a few people I know struggled with that more because it is the most non-realistic, I guess. It's the most sort of fanciful seems to like a weird word for, but you know, like the surreal. Sort of, yeah, exactly. The the weird circumstance of it, like being knocked down the stairs. It feels more Hollywood. Oh, I guess. you mean the, 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 the Georgie stuff? Yeah. I, thought, I thought you meant finding yeah. him on the boat. No, that that's you know, all good because which I love that's like a Powell Pressburger moment. Exactly. So him just sitting on and, and like the propeller is just turning yeah. and you hear the propeller sound in the back. Oh. And he's so fucking good in this. We've yeah. talked about him a lot in this we, miniseries. It's, it's a minimal Nolan miniseries. Movies. But um, he he's doing this very odd kind of like there's something sort of heightened in an old Hollywood way about mm-hmm. his performance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But he's playing a totally broken, deconstructed version of an old yeah, Hollywood sure. like yeah. matinee idol that in a scene, weird way. Yeah. yeah, That scene where he says, you know, where he tells Mark Rylance to turn the boat around. It's so well done. Like physically, it's such a great bit of acting because. You know, he he kind of does this thing with his with his hand. He's kind of flicking and pointing. He's like, turn this boat around immediately. Right. But he's also concave as he does so. He's just yeah. so broken. But yeah. there's just that little bit of kind of officer training. Of, turn this boat around immediately. And um, and I also, you know, it's also so touching because once you do find out, once you do kind of get that quote unquote flashback, and mm-hmm. you see him on the the lifeboat earlier, then you sort of realize what this guy has been through because right. he. He was on, I mean, we know essentially he was blown up twice out of the water. Yeah. I mean, he was on that boat that was, you know, that that went down, So, which is why he was on that lifeboat. Yeah. So presumably he made it back on shore. And then he probably wound up on another boat, which was then blown up again. Right. And now he's being picked up by these guys. And the first thing he realizes is, Oh my God, these assholes are going back to Dunkirk. <laughs> and it took like, him, it takes him a second. He has no idea because he doesn't know. Nobody knows anything in this movie, and he does not know that the boats have been, um, you know, requisitioned or activated. No, why so, would he think yeah, about that? Yeah. The civilian fleet He's is such like, a ludicrous concept. These idiots are going to Dunkirk. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> they sort of conceal it. From, well, for they lock him in the um, cabin, which seems like a, that's that's a poor strategic decision. But they, yeah, yeah the, the kid does. The kid does. The kid yeah, does. Yeah. But and you he, totally get why he does. No, it. you do. Like, He's frightening. Right. Yeah. right. But but it's also I mean I, I actually love that bit with um with the kid kind of contemplating whether to lock him in yeah and then locking him in in any other movie I feel like you know he would be locked in and then there would be some sort of struggle but here it's he's trying to get out and Mark Rylance comes down and he's, he's just like, like what are you why doing? the hell did you lock him yeah, in you can't yeah. let him out and he's already gone out that right yeah. that's the climactic moment that's where he shoves Georgie yeah. right right he, poor Georgie. Poor Georgie, what a good cat. He's kind of an idiot, but like yeah, a boy. It, it really is, though. I mean, it is such a nightmare when you put yourself in Killian Murphy's shoes. Mm-hmm. Everything that's happened, and then like he finds out they're going back to Dunkirk, and then they lock him in. Yeah, right. No, it's at true. that point, he's just he's ready to kill everybody. Well, on that's that the boat. thing that especially considering moment. what a yeah. gentle environment it is. Right, like, uh, you know, 
to anyone else. The Moonstone. Right. They're whiz poppers and fuzz wimples. Yeah, exactly. Abound. They're farting corgis on that boat. And yet, um, but like, I think also, especially to Brits, but to Americans too, like the idea of being shell-shocked is such an abstract concept we're all aware of. Yes. Yeah. Where it's like, oh yeah, they, they're quiet. You know, it's what happens to you. You know, like people, people don't really, and uh, it doesn't get dug into in movies. It's hard to dig into it in movies. I agree. Because and it's I, such yes. an unambiguous thing too. Right. And in addition to the fact that Killer Murphy is such a good physical actor. You know, sure. I think he's really good at harnessing this certain kind of squirminess that makes mm-hmm. him really uh, well suited for, you know, like the moments like what, what the one you outlined where he's sort of contradicting through his body everything he's saying with yeah. his mouth <laughs> are really fascinating. But also he is such a pretty man he and he has such stunning eyes and to watch those eyes just be dead. Yeah. And his face kind of look broken without him doing any obvious contortion, you know? It's it's a stunning image to see. Like, when they first pull him out, you're like, oh, fuck. This guy is just completely uh, broken inside. There's no hiding from this. He is he is a beautiful man, and that is why the first time they worked together, Christopher Nolan covered his face Put with a sack. sack. On his head. Yeah. That's what you got to do. Put the sack on, Killian. I mean, look, who's got the best mouth in Hollywood? Tom Hardy. Sure. What am I going to do? Cover that mouth every time. Put a mask over the mouth. <laughs> Not an in Inception. He's pursing his lips in Inception. Yeah, that's true. Um, so what else should we talk about? I mean, there's the I guess the the tugboat scene or whatever you you know the way where the um. After the sinking, they they hit uh, Tommy mm-hmm. and Harry Styles and various other characters end up in that boat. Oh to yeah, take shelter. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about the spy sequence where they're trying to figure out. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. The tr- the trawler. It's a trawler, yeah. technically. Right. Yeah, a Dutch trawler. A Dutch trawler. Uh, which is claustrophobic, and they're getting shot at. Uh, it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the scene where I really panic yeah, yeah that one flipped me out. well it's also it's also if you remember it's intercut well it's intercut with a couple of things but when the water is starting to come in it's intercut with uh the collins drowning or all nearly drowning in his right plane, that's intercut is, right yeah. with that sequence and, and that's actually something else that nolan does in this movie that is you know because you mentioned um the idea of you know, when you first saw it you thought oh is he going to kind of really rigidly stick to this structure? Sure, the, the one, two, three, in, one, two, three. Yeah, and instead what he does is he almost cuts around sort of thematic elements, mm-hmm. right? So that's a scene where he's cutting around this, this idea of water. And there's that Stuck other scene. Stuck in the water. Yeah, and then there, there's that other scene where the, the, the Moonstone is trying to avoid a plane mm-hmm. while uh, another plane is attacking, you know, Brenna and those guys at the mall. Yes. Right, and then there's another one. There's actually another one earlier that I caught the last time I saw it, and and I can't remember what it is exactly, but there is another moment where in all, all three He's different temporalities together, all three different temporalities, it's a it's a kind of a turning moment where I think it's when Tom Hardy first sees in his, I guess his rear view mirror. Sure. I guess he has one on a yeah, plane. Why not? Who needs to see behind you? Where, where he sees the 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 plane headed towards the um uh minesweeper. the minesweeper, yeah, yeah, which yeah. kind of beca- eventually we later realize the kind of central. That's the sequence f- at the end. Final oil set piece, yeah. right? Yes. But he, um, so yeah, he's know, grouping things yeah, together. Yeah, he's grouping things together. So the structure I really like is that scene symphonic. where the moonstone avoids like it's it. It's an yes. almost symphonic structure. Good yeah. word. Which is why, and then and then all these other little things come into play because at the end, I mean, the the, the very last bit of sort of suspense in the film is this tiny little moment of 
is that planes or are that planes landing wheels going to come out in time? Yeah. While the Winston Churchill speech is being read. Right. You know, like, right. So and he's it's, pumping it's, it out. And, and finally, also, Zimmer's score is chilling out. Yeah. And has become melodic, which yeah. it has not been for the whole movie. For yeah. the whole movie, it's this weird sort of like It's like a dog drone. whistle. It's like an yeah. escalating dog it's, it's, whistle. It's, still, yeah. it's, it's never quite completes a musical sentence right. until the right. end. Right. And then finally he has, yeah, that, that and um, I mean, and also you get that shot of Hardy's face afterwards, yeah. so, you know. Which it's is like a re- ta- it's like tantric sex. Exactly, that's a real treat it's, for the did audience. Did Sting actually score this? Movie? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he did. <laughs> it's like sorbet after a fifteen-course meal. Yeah. Oh, no, but a so meal where they keep like oh. they, they're sort of like rattling the plates around yeah. and they're like throwing the food at you. <laughs> it's like sorbet after a food fight. <laughs> um, but like then there are these moments in the movie. It it is it's hard for Nolan because I, I think like when you have the slightly plottier segments like Bobby. Uh, Georgie, sorry, getting pushed down the stairs or Harry Styles turning on the French guy Mm -hmm. all of a sudden Uh, and there's more dialogue, you know, and there's more like we kind of, it's not just a sensory experience and we have to think about character motivations. I don't think these scenes are bad. Yeah. I just think that like they are somewhat jarring. Yeah. That's a complaint I've heard registered that I get more than the complaint of like, I don't get how the timelines match up. Sure. Uh, I don't really have a problem with it. I'm more just throwing that out there. I feel like we're all big Dunkirk fans, so. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, I mean, just the fucking, the the satisfaction you get when the timelines start to merge. Mm -hmm. You know, I I mean, as you said, symphonic. It's this crescendo where suddenly, like, everything's in harmony. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's pretty powerful. Like, it's, it's this thing that he's capable of doing that I think very few filmmakers are. And especially very few working at this kind of scale within the studio system, which is he can get an emotional response out of the mere craft of what he's executing, not even the content of what he's communicating. But it's that same thing that happens in like Inception where you just have these like emotional responses to like, oh, my God, these fucking 12 things happening at the same time, all this different movement and the music swelling all these different images that now have this combined kind of power. Yeah. Um, There is a weird kind of like perverse giddiness that comes from like, oh shit, Hardy is now there. Branagh is there. We haven't talked about Branagh at all. Yeah. He's great. You know, like. Home. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he's doing exactly what they hired him to do, which is be Kenneth Branagh. Sure. Deliver the minimal exposition we have. Yes. And just be this pillar of fucking moral integrity. He's basically doing his the same part he did in the the Olympic Olympics opening ceremony yes. with Danny Boyle. He's basically just yes. the guy in the middle of it all. Yes. You know. Uh he's got an ace up his sleeve. He's got a signature move which he fucking owns. He slams down the table a couple different times, every time just as effective, which is slowly taking off his cap while turning his head to look off at the horizon. He does it like three times. Boy, does he kill it, though. Like, if I had a move that good, I would do it fucking 12 times. Like, like he should play Iago again and just try taking his cap off through, you know, midway through a soliloquy. Some could work. argue that doing it three times is gilding the lily. And I would argue he actually times. shows an amazing <laughs> amount of restraint yeah. in not doing it 20 times. He doesn't go into the ocean of ham. He does not. In this movie. And it's right there. Do you right know about the river of ham? What is the river? Please tell the river. When Kenneth Branagh was directing Thor Thor 1, Thor 1, uh, Ray Stevenson, who of course played uh, Volstagg, our favorite character, 
uh, in the MCU, Volstag. <laughs> sure. Uh, One of the, the Warriors 3. The, the jolly, meat-loving member of the Warriors 3. <laughs> yeah, not the subtlest character, to be fair. <laughs> He's a fat guy who is always eating meat with his bare hands. He's sort of the Brad Pitt of the Warriors 3, right? He's yes. The, he's the, yeah. Um, Rusty, that's the character. Yes. Uh, Branagh was directing him. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stevenson said, I don't know about that. It feels like... It, it it might you know I'm worried about hammy. dipping a toe into the river. No, no. Did he oh. even say? I think he, I think Brando's the one who says it. It said it might be hammy, right? And, and he said, "Trust me, with this performance, you want to go. You want to dip a toe into the river of ham. <laughs> river of ham. I think that's his phrase." And then Stevenson said, "It's a good river." And and uh, Brando said, "I've I've swam in that river many a time. <laughs> <laughs> it is a man-made river yes. which I have built. I built it." Um. But no, but he's like he he's knowing exactly how much paprika to put on the sandwich in yes, this performance, which right. which could be very overcooked and and overcranked. I think if you're too aware, no, it, you know what? I should give Ray Stevenson credit. I googled it. He, Ray Stevenson okay, said, so "Yeah, right. you were right. I was right. You know what? I'll dip my toe into the river of ham." And right. Branagh said, "Trust me, I've swam in that river many yes, times. Okay. Uh, you'd enjoy it." Right. Stevenson's <laughs> yes. the one who who coined the term. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Uh, but Branagh then revealed that it was his river all along. <laughs> yeah, right. It was the Kenneth Branagh Memorial River. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, but he's not really hamming it up. He, I mean, no. he's hamming it up in more of a Mrs. Miniver way, which is sort yeah. of like he's just his lip, his upper lip is so stiff. You know, you just get his, his non-existent up. upper lip. It's true. Yeah. He's a yeah. thin lip man. He's yeah. a thin lip man. But but this is this is the kind of performance that's I feel like exceptionally tricky to pull off, where you have to. Uh, carry weight in a film representing something sure. more than just like playing the character organically in like a yeah. behavioral way. Mm-hmm. You have to represent things and you have to carry the audience along. And I feel like I've seen actors who are too aware of that responsibility yeah. and lose the human element. And I've also seen actors who I think are so concerned with playing it human that they don't fully rise to the occasion of what the movie's asking yeah. them to do. It's kind of and a perfect He's balance. like right in the strike zone. Uh, and and James Darcy listens to him. James Darcy's great too. He's solid, but he doesn't have to do much other than he's listening. Not yes. Well, and he says like, well, "Don't they want the boats?" Or I don't know. He, he has to ask the questions. Yes. Yeah. Why and not you, destroyers? Where are the destroyers? Where are the air force? You know. There is quite a bit of exposition that Branagh goes through in the film. I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't it's actually all on catch him pretty much. Yeah, right? I didn't actually yeah. catch most of it the first time. Yeah. Not because. I didn't have a problem with like hearing, hearing the things. dialogue. It's more that you're, you're just so wrapped up in what's happening that you stop paying attention At to dialogue. In the movie, it's hard to process words. Like you've yeah. gotten so into the movie's wavelength, yeah, yeah, which is all this sort of movement and bombast yeah. and this sort of paranoia of scanning the frame yeah. for any possible threats. That when suddenly just two people talking on a pier, you're like, "What the fuck is this?" I yeah, mean, and he's actually offering a lot of information. Sorry, yes, you know he is. Now, I mean, the the Air Force, the, the the Tom Hardy scenes. I'll admit, the second time I saw it, it was clearer. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially what's being said over the radio. Yeah, I could barely understand. What in the saying, IMAX, yeah. I struggled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of, like, you know, like you know, I, I, and I, I yeah. the second time I was like, oh, oh that's Michael Caine. Bloody, bloody dolls off, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, I didn't really have. I don't know. I have. Yeah, yeah I it's not a dialogue heavy movie. It's not a dialogue heavy movie. No. I mean, there's, I, I, I often don't understand. You know, at least 30 percent of what I hear in movies sure. as far as dialogue is concerned. Well, and, and that's with yeah. this one, it just didn't. So you don't pay attention. You yeah, don't, don't listen attention. to what anyone says. Basically, I am. <laughs> I am. I am what's movie? wrong with movie going today. <laughs> You're just taking pictures of the screen yeah, with your exactly. phone. Exactly. I just want to know if Harry lives or dies. Yeah. Uh, he lives. He lives. He lives. They make it off of the horrible trawler. 
Right, where he's the one who becomes very paranoid and very That's what I'm saying. Like it's accusatory. It's not like it's a, a difficult turn to understand, but I it's more like I'm like, oh, I have to suddenly think about this as a human being in a different way sure. rather than just sort of like this person who desperately wants to survive yeah. in a very basic way. Right. And I don't have a problem with the scene. I'm more it's more just it's plotty. Yeah. It's uh, also the right. dialogue is, is a little florid at this moment, it right? Because there's that line bit. he says he says I bet he doesn't even speak a word of English, and if he did, it'd be slathered, yeah, slathered in, in sauerkraut. sauerkraut. Right. And you're like, all right, he's yeah. German. You're getting, you're yeah. saying he's German. I mean, Jesus Christ, economy here. Yeah. There's people shooting outside. But yeah. but I like that he isn't. Like I like yeah. I like that he's not German. That he's not a spy. That he's no, just he's, like a French. He's a poor kid. French kid trying right. to get on the English boat. Who's just yeah. trying to survive like the rest of them, and in the process has ended up doing a lot of good. Sure, has yeah. helped right. Right. their men a lot. Right. You know, yeah. Like his initial instinct. Were were totally based in cowardice, yeah. But, but now he's a cowardice of, we can all understand, right? Right, yeah. and he is he has uh, risen to the occasion, yeah. And he's also well, also with Harry Styles. I mean, his character there is a strange and touching quality to his character. He's such a, you know, he's a guy who doesn't really think very hard about about these things. I mean, you know, right. this guy isn't talking. He must be a spy. And then later on, he's also the one who really has to kind of express this notion, well, we're, we lost. We had to evacuate. We're all going to be humiliated. Right? And I mean, he's the one who yes. kind of has to express these kind of very basic, very base emotions that are then kind of turned around and undercut and redeemed by yes. the movie. Yeah. Which is why it helps having someone with like a bit of a rock star swagger like mm-hmm. that. That yeah. sort of movie star confidence and that look and everything because it's a guy who needs to be completely convinced that his first impressions are 100% correct. Yeah. Sure. You know? Because even when he figures out he's French, he's still annoyed at him. Right. Which is at that point you'd think like, all right, well. And, yeah, let's drop it. And I as a character, it. <laughs> it almost feels like he thinks he's the lead of the movie. Like he's bit. making these decisions as if like I'm the leader everyone's turning to but looking for an answer. It's, uh, I mean, I think where Styles is actually good, like rather than just like blending in well, yeah. is that the scene on the train at the end where he's so ashamed yeah. uh, in this way he can't articulate. He thinks they're all going to be greeted as cowards because they basically ran away. I mean, yeah. in a very elaborate way. Uh, and he can't, he's struggling to process like uh, that they are being greeted as heroes. Yeah. And you really need somebody. And that's, that's why he's, I think his performance is really valuable here because you really need somebody to express that very clearly and very compellingly so that when it turns out that the guys are just trying They're to give them a beer, beers, you right. know, like, so that turn that emotional turn really resonates. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it was just kind of confusing and we didn't quite know what they, how they felt and then suddenly right. they were, it would still work, I think, no, but it sure, just wouldn't but work I, really it, as well. Like the, 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 that, it's very the, effective. Moment. Yeah, that, that emotion of humiliation really has to be expressed very clearly at that moment. Can't stand that John Nolan doesn't look at him, even though just he's just blind. That's yeah. John Nolan right, from I following. Guess, right, oh, okay. right, yeah, right, you know, right, for, right. he's in like all his movies. Is yeah. he also blind in uh, the Prestige? Is he in the Prestige as a blind man? There, there is he's a blind, blind guy, guy, but it's not that blind guy. I mean, I think he's, of John he's Nolan. On he's the always board in the board in, Batman Begins, in, the, in the Batman movie. He's in, in all the Batman movies. He's always like, yeah. "You can't do." In in Dark Knight Rises, he says like, ah, "That's outrageous." And then Pat Leahy, the senator from Vermont, is sitting next to him, and he's like. I'll tell you something about Bruce Wayne. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. yeah. He's in a lot of those movies. He's like an old English guy who's his uncle. Yeah, cool. He's great. Sorry. Yeah, he was, yeah. Dunkirk. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's pretty emotionally God, affecting. I mean, because it is. Yeah, about it's, it's a stressful movie. When you said like, you know, the scuttlebutt about like, will Nolan do a horror movie? And it's like, this feels like this is the closest horror. he could make to a horror movie. This is sort of in his wheelhouse, which I is like. he's even said that. I think he's even yeah. said it's not really a war movie. It's a horror movie or something. Because like it's just of, a survival the, movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, and also, right, the enemy is so. Uh, hard to grasp at and like it feels like almost rant like it, there's hard it's horrifying the way the enemy is acting well and that there's that sense. that rather line, than like we have right. no personal perspective on them there's that quote Just, that i i'm gonna fuck up now that's like uh all, all war movies are propaganda because movies make war look cool uh-huh yes. you know yeah, in, yeah, in yeah, one yeah, way yeah. or another yes, there's yes. a sort of heroism that happens to whichever side you're leaning on Right, and most World War II movies, people are like, well, that was the good one. That was, uh, right, yeah. We, we were doing there, something there, right there. Yeah, right. yeah. there are a couple of that don't. No, and, sure, and, sure. And, and it is interesting, the, the responses people will have to those. Right. Um, and but this then is, even then, you would argue that those movies are saying, like, are, are propaganda in an anti-war way, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right, right, in right, in right. some kind of way. It's either the brutality of war or the, you know. But, but this is weirdly one of the few war movies I've ever seen. That it feels completely apolitical because it's just about here are people in this situation trying to survive. Like that's all it's concerned with, not the yeah. larger aspirations of what they're fighting for or who they're trying to survive being attacked by yeah. or any of that. And uh, in a weird way, like as much as I don't like war movies, I used to have this like thought when I was like a kid and I would like doodle movie ideas in my notebook when yeah, I wasn't paying attention cool in math kid. class. Real cool kid. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, the only kind of war movie that I feel like I, I would ever, like, be able to come up with is just that. It's just a movie of one person trying to survive mm-hmm. being in this situation. Um, or, or, or a horse. Or a horse. A war horse, if a you will. A war horse, if Maybe you will. Maybe make war horse, too. This movie Hardly is horse. Kind of, I don't know. <laughs> Hardly horse. Hi- hyper horse. <laughs> hyper horse. Yes. Um, War Horse 2, The Widowmaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. Let's do it. But it is like, it's a very tense movie. It's a very experiential movie. And then that final scene where it's like, you haven't even considered the emotional context of right. what they've gone through. You haven't even considered how they'd process all of this. Mm-hmm. The sense that they'd be ashamed is like a totally new idea. To us, we're like, why? Of course not. What are you talking about? Like, you right. just went through the worst horror. Like, yeah. you know, we're, we're all so humbled by the very idea of it. But, but that's the other thing I think it speaks to is like, right, these kids are so young. Sure. Like these are like young boys in this situation. So they don't know how they're going to be like uh, taken in once they return home because they don't really understand what they've been through. Yeah. Which which I find very like uh, uh, profound, like emotionally devastating. Absolutely. But and it, the, the, there's also, um, yeah, the film is very good about sort of keeping you in the dark at these various points to sort of mimic the way that the characters themselves don't sure, really know right. what's happening. Wouldn't know yeah. what was going and on. Another right. thing about that is visually something that always jumps out at me in the movie is uh, towards the end when we're in Tom Hardy's plane and uh, we see this shot of the plane flying and you see the town of Dunkirk from mm-hmm. from the sky finally. And it's just fascinating because it's like this like pleasant little resort town. Yeah, right. It's the and only you, moment when Dunkirk. you right. yeah. It's a nice seaside yeah. town. Yeah, yes. and it's the only moment when you kind of get that. It almost looks modern. I mean, the, yeah. the, right. there's some buildings there, and I'm like, that does not look like a building that would have existed in 1940. Mm. For all I know, maybe it's not. But yeah. um, I also find that so touching. This, yeah. the, the way that right at the end, the film kind of opens up 
very briefly mm-hmm. yeah. to just give you a little bit more context. Right, because everyone just thinks of a beach when they think of the yeah. Battle of Dunkirk or what, the evacuation, whatever you want to call it. Can, um, can we talk about the last couple Hardy shots? I know we've just invoked Do it. No, fine. We're wrapping up. So, you know, get, setting up the sequel. Get yeah. anything yeah. you want. It's true. I mean, Stella Hardy. 17. Exactly. Yeah. Hardy as prisoner of war. And for some reason, he has like a mask on his face. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, they well, put it's, like a, it's Fury Road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's in a cage and it's just his eye is exposed. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's one of those cages where you can just pull apart the little bar. Yeah. His next performance. Please, he's, please. He's going to be wearing a morph suit and the only part of his skin that's going to be visible is his pointer finger. <laughs> Great. What do you want to say about the last? Or a barrel? What if he's in a barrel and he just sticks his finger out of the barrel barrel. and wiggles it? Yeah, he plays like a whiskey maker who gets trapped. Yeah. (laughs) Um, No, I just think you know there's something to. It's almost like a this this Nolan thing of like take something away from people and and make them realize how much they they cared about in the first place. You know, Um, the fact that the biggest star of the movie is wearing a mask the entire time in a plane physically constricted, right? Set within very narrow confines in terms yes. of yes. Uh, even the timeline of what he's in. Mm-hmm. That, you know, once we have the sort of relief of, oh, shit, Zimmer's swelling, the the landing wheels have come out. You know, I don't know how to fucking describe stuff, right? He's pulling the, the thing. landing gear. The landing gear, you know, is, is set. He, he gets on the beach. And then everything sort of like widens out, like you were saying. Like you finally get Hardy in these in these wider shots where he's a smaller element, and he takes the mask off, and here it is. Like he's fucking, he's Tom Hardy. He's got the best face in the world. Sure. And now he's going to give you like a full face reaction shot, and to immediately undercut that with like, oh no, they got him. They got him. They got him. Yeah, he set his plane on fire. Right. He sets his plane on fire. That shot of him looking at the burning plane, I find. Very. Uh, I mean, he he's powerful. well he's well lit. It's very warming in general. It's very warming, and then and then you see the guy swarming. I just think it's like a nice red, you know. Glow. He he's uh he he's not like a legendary war hero, you know. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who saved these people, and then he got caught, and now he's just gonna go through a lot of bad shit. Sure, like he's just some guy who was doing his job in a way, you know. Yeah. <sighs> Anything else you guys want to say before we play the box office game? I mean, you should remember. Uh, yeah, it's kind of amazing. What are your closing I, thoughts? Um, you've said a lot. I've said a lot. You've said I've, a lot I've, of great I've, things. I've, I've I've said too much. No, no. I do think that's I do, crazy. I, I do think that there are, there are a couple of these little things in the film that that you know where, where they do provide a little bit of additional historical context, like the whole bit with the Royal Engineers building these makeshift piers with the trucks. Oh yeah. That is actually an incredible site. Yeah. yeah, Which, which, which we come to, which was actually one of the, the main, you know, one of the big things about the Dunkirk evacuation was that they built these, you know, makeshift piers so that, you know, some of the boats could approach. And, um, you know, the film actually, like the first time I saw it, I didn't notice that at all. Right. Right. And then the second time I saw, Oh my God, this is actually a a through line in the movie. Mm -hmm. We come back to it several times. And there's that like very sort of self-satisfied, shot of the 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 head of the i guess i guess he's like the head of the royal engineers there an officer just kind of you know beaming at their handiwork (laughs) you know after they've built that pier i love that it's good that the pier is crazy yeah and there's that sort of triumphant swelly moment he gives you there when the boats are arriving yeah and uh then hardy fights off the last german plane yes before just gliding down like he finally there is like a lot of release at the end there um, 
I, I read in an interview that Nolan said his pitch to Warner Brothers uh, after he had put away his his little tin planes was he said, I want to make uh, VR without the headset. Uh, sure. Which, like, the very didactic interpretation of that is, like, well, the way he used IMAX, I'm wanting to put the camera in the plane and really kind of immerse you in the situation. But it is a movie that, like, is constructed in in terms of uh, its use of every single element, the way it tells the story, what it shows you, what it doesn't show you, to just put you in the headspace of these people trying to survive yeah. Um, these moments that you're catching them in. Yeah. Um, and I think like on that on that score, he like really succeeded. I mean, he's made a, a very weird movie. That it's a weird movie. It's a weird movie, and I think yeah. it's very much uh, an, an unexpected type of film. As much as it's a blank check movie, there is an astonishing amount of restraint and reserve in it. Right. And that he's choosing only to really tackle a couple different goals in a very slight kind of three slices of this larger story and all of that. Yeah. We said in our, uh, you know, when we were in the first chunk of our miniseries, the first four, uh, yeah, right, the first three, three Nolan movies that are these, these neo-noirs. Right. That like, it's kind of weird that he made the shift to being this big blockbuster filmmaker because it feels like he could have been this for the rest of his life. And it's like sort of sad to think he probably won't make a movie like this again. Like he's just going to feel the need to escalate and Maybe. to escalate and to escalate. But this movie is this weird case of him like going bigger and smaller at the same time. Yeah. And it makes me very excited about his future if he's going to keep on taking risks like this and keep on going like, sure, I'll like play within the genres you know. Right, and keep having them pay off too. Right. That's, that's yeah. the right. really sort of triumphant thing yeah. about right. it. It's is not that- just going to be just – you know, increasingly grandiose pictures. Right, right. right, I, right. He's he, not going to have like, yeah, sort of like Cleopatra. Yeah, which is sort of what happened to James Cameron, I think. Yeah. And I love yes. James Cameron, but, but it, it is very much a... He has I mean, to he's, be bigger every time. Yeah. And he yeah. is one of these guys who always says, well, I'm thinking about making the movie doing a smaller movie next. Right. Yeah, and then well, it never okay, James. Yeah. Right. yeah, sure, right, right, right. And then I mean, he's I like, it, but at the same time, 3D with no glasses? Can we do it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. But But that's like, you know, I feel like a lot of the filmmakers we covered, there's a bit of like, you can't go home again, you know? Yeah. And either what they turn into eventually is still good or they lose their way and then when they try to go small again, they get fucked. Yeah. But they kind of ultimately in one way or another get away from whatever they were originally doing because success kind of becomes this this cage, this yeah. trapping, the expectations and everything. But like Nolan seems to be interested in figuring out how to make the biggest movies he can but not feeling burdened by the need to make them epics. To not yeah. like self-justify their size by pumping them full of self-importance or narrative bloat or any sort of things that I I think can really ultimately like sink interesting directors. Sure. It's an interesting movie. You can definitely imagine the guy who made Memento making this movie. Yes. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. Ben, wait, sorry. Do you have anything you want to say? Uh, You haven't talked much. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well, so this this is a dead husband movie, right? Uh So... Just saying, all the men in this movie have wives. Yeah, well, presumably. Okay, sure. so you got that element right. Wanted to point that out, but did uh, <laughs> did uh, did the the lights stay down for during the credits at your screenings? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I can't. I think so. Why? No bloopers. <laughs> no outtakes. I mean, that's what I thought was there going is on. there is a sequence. If you say until after the credits, there's a sequence where the entire uh, cast and crew sings "Build Me a Buttercup." <laughs> Now that 
I would have liked to have seen. Uh huh. I would like to see a Christopher Nolan comedy. I, 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 I yeah. I, I, I know that the accusation is that he's humorless, and I completely disagree with that. His movies can be funny. I think it's, yeah. it's 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 hard to imagine a an out and out like a right. comedy of manners directed yes, by like, Christopher. Yeah, well, Nolan. But, but isn't that the but isn't that what happened with Coppola? Basically, he was like, "I'm going to make a you know romantic musical comedy next," right. and then yeah. that was when it all came crashing. Down. It was, yeah. and yeah, I guess maybe. I mean. That would be the actual challenge for him. Yeah, if he could mount like some sort of like big like well for like let's play the box office game. Sure, I was gonna say musical would be interesting to see him do, but he would have to pick. It would have to be a Les Mis esque kind of sure, musical like tragedy. Sweeping, I don't uh, think he epic. could do anything. Goes like Ro- I don't no, think robot musical. Tars musical. Tar- Tars the musical. Mm-hmm. He could. He could do it. Dancing with the Tars. Dancing with the Tars. <laughs> One of Stanley Kubrick's greatest regrets was apparently not. Being able to make a musical, sure. Like the, that was that was that the one genre he really loved yeah. and really wanted to tackle, and you can kind of see it in all his movies. I mean, yeah, Clockwork Orange has several musical scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, two thousand one is sort yeah. of like a weird musical. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but he made a great comedy. Uh, Nolan yeah. doesn't have that on his yeah. belt yet. Yeah. Um, but why doesn't he make? Well, number one at the box office on the weekend of July twenty first was, was Dunker. Was Dunker was the movie for fifty Dunker. million dollars. What was number two at the box office? It was a comedy opening against it. Counter-programming. This should be a slam dunk for me, which would make it a boring segment, but I'm so overtired and so jet-lagged. It's the biggest comedy of 2017. Girl's Trip? Girl's Trip. Yeah. Now, could Nolan make a girl's trip? You know, could he step into Malcolm D. Lee's shoes? Uh, uh, probably not. No, <laughs> probably not. Right? Not everyone can do everything. Can I? Can I stand for Girls Trip for a second? It's a good movie. Good movie. Everyone talks about Tiffany Haddish. She's great. Well deserved. Regina Hall. Regina Hall has been doing such fucking consistently good work for like eighteen years. She's a very underrated yeah. actress. A because really she crazy underrated rated. actress. Yeah. Right. And I just feel like uh. I know a lot of people saw Girls Trip and were like, who is that that lead woman? I'm like, you've seen her in 18 things. Yeah, she's, she's been, been in like, forever. she's been in a bunch of crazy successful movies, equally good at supporting and leading roles. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got that end monologue that she delivers like in her uh, her keynote speech. That's like eight minutes long of like straight talk. I think she's a very good actress. What did you think of Girls Trip? I still haven't seen Girls Trip. It's really good. I really want to. Um, number three was a big Marvel movie. Uh, Spider-Man Hulk. Yeah. Michael Keaton, the movie. Michael Keaton is, is the movie man, is the vulture man. Yes. He's a Trump voter. Yeah. Uh, what'd you, what'd you think of Spider-Man? It's kind of a boring box office, actually. I was not a fan of Spider-Man. Yeah, you actually didn't like it. I actually did not like it. I I was surprised because... Because I had a good time. I mean, it, yeah. it was like a TV show to I, me, but I had a good time. That's my exact feeling. I yeah. feel like I watched three episodes of Spider-Man the TV show. Sure. It just felt kind of inconsequential to me, yeah. but like inconsequential. But watching it, I was enjoying it immensely. Sure, sure. When I, I went to see, um, I took my son to see Spider-Man. And um, actually, I, I took my son to see Spider-Man. And the day before, I'd taken him to see Baby Driver, which sure. I probably shouldn't admit to <laughs> since that's an R-rated movie. But um and it was interesting seeing how, you know, one. I mean, both films are hits. Yes, Baby Driver's made like a hundred million. No, no, it's, it's made a like legit four hundred or driver. some yeah. absurd yeah. amount yeah. of money. But um, but it was interesting. Like the crowd at both places, like, the, the crowd at Baby Driver was totally wrapped. Yes. I mean, they were just locked into that movie. Nobody left to go to the bathroom or to get more popcorn or whatever. Spider Man movie was 
more packed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was sold out screening. And, and it was just, it was like a carnival. I mean, half the people in that room were not really watching the whole movie. I mean, people were just, I, I, I sat, I sat in one of those kind of, you know, um, like I had some, the passage to get to the exit was right in front of me. Right. So I could see all the people leaving. Yeah. I was just constantly, like I constantly had to keep moving my legs just so, yeah. and, uh, and it just occurred to me, you know, these people, they don't actually, half the time, they're not even really watching. Like it's, it's yeah. Spider-Man, it's the it's Marvel movie. You just have to go because it's almost that's like go, the thing it's like voting. Do. It's like a yeah. civil obligation. Yeah, it really right. is. And it, the, the, I mean, the marketing genius behind creating movies where it's seen as an obligation. Like yeah. you're not even really having fun. But put your time in because of, it's going to pay off for the next one anyway. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the movie. It's opening this week, and the kids want to see it, sure. so you go see it. And it was fine. It passed the time. You don't actively want your two and a half hours back. Right. Nothing special was done with it. Nothing. I mean, it's just, ugh, it's just so it, It's weird to me how many people I talk to who say, like, I only go see Marvel movies in theaters. And it's not because they're Marvel fans. Yeah, it's like, I don't really like seeing things in theaters. No, I mostly watch event. stuff on Netflix. But it's funny because like, I feel like I gotta go see those. Visually uninteresting. Right. Uh, so drab. Yeah. yeah. Drab. Um, but, uh, hey, man. Uh, See, my weird thing with Spider-Man was I really liked all the Peter Parker stuff. I liked all the high school stuff. I don't think it amounted to much, but when it was operating just as kind of like a teen dramedy, I was really locked into sure, it. Sure, sure. Anytime Michael Keaton was Keatoning it up. I enjoyed everything right. he did, yes. Right. But anytime it like went to Spider-Man fighting somebody, I got totally disconnected. There was just nothing to, right. nothing to really watch. Right, I mean, and I could else. watch like those Raimi swinging sequences a thousand oh, times yeah. in a row. I yeah. still find I, them I, thrilling. I agree. Oh, yeah. And that, that that first Raimi is really, I mean, it's like ninety percent teen dramedy, yeah, ten percent yeah. swing scene. Yeah, it's like that. That movie is like a weird, like it's it's like a uh, like a Douglas Sirk version oh, yeah. of a high school movie. It's great. And yeah. the little montages, you know, when he's imagining what he's doing with what he I can do it. with all that money. It's just those two Raimi movies. The those first two yeah. rule. They we really gotta do, do Raimi, really man. Do. We gotta do it. Because the first one is like has some major issues, yes. but it's so fucking charming and there's oh, so much And style. also it's setting down a template that is gonna be like, you know, the bedrock of so much of these movies that yeah. like follow, except they're gonna be way watered down. But what, what you're talking about, those sort of like wild right. comic booky montages. And it's simultaneously like so much more heightened than the comic book movies very we get today. Very broad performances. Yes, and like, like very sort of like emotional and human. Like yes. there are these very human scenes. There's that one in the backyard when Mary Jane, uh, Peter's throwing out the trash. Yeah, Mary Jane just got yelled her at. Her dad's yeah. yelling at her and they have this like conversation where you realize like, oh, they've known each other but they've never really like talked to this degree. Yeah. Mm. It's such fucking... Yeah. I haven't yeah. seen the first one in a while. Yeah, I rewatched the... the first two after seeing Homecoming, which I enjoyed. I thought was fun, but... Yeah, all right. yeah. We, we, gotta, we gotta go. We gotta go? No, 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 no I'm almost done. War for the Planet of the Apes is number four. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't okay. let you guess it. It's War for the Planet of the Apes. This is when you realize how badly what I believe number five did. This is my frowny face. <laughs> I believe it is Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Opening that release. weekend. Yeah. That weekend. Why didn't they open it? And then I suffered as a film critic through August where I was like, what the fuck do I even review this week? Like, yeah. there's nothing. And like, why not just open it like the ass end of August? It might make some money. Such a, I, yeah. I wonder if they thought, I wonder if the, their gamble was they looked at they looked at Dunkirk. They looked at the fact that 
maybe Interstellar was seen as kind of a disappointment, even though it wasn't really. But they, they, maybe they just thought to themselves, you know what, we're, we're banking on Nolan whiffing. I guess so. I think it was hubris. I think, like, my big thought I, I had watching Valerian was, like... Which is a great movie and one of the best of the year. I had issues with it, but there are things I love about it. So good. Uh, We're I seeing on a big screen. A hundred percent. Which is which, sad. Which because is wide open against the little... Two weeks on. later, <laughs> I was like, you know, I, I want to see it again. And then it was like, yeah, yeah, go on down to Times Square and no other theaters because yeah. it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it, like, Times Square, and it was like, there's a 910, and that's the only time it's playing today. Um, but I think... Uh, you look at the marketing of that movie and they didn't sell the story at all. The marketing was just like, here are the images. Because I think the images are so crazy. Kind of, yes. That was the selling point. <laughs> yes. I agree. I agree. But I think like it's hard to sell a movie to people without any no, sense uh, of like. The, the, yeah. The pitch in the trailers was like, there's a city of a thousand planets. And you're like, oh. And they're like, and they got to save it. Oh, from what? I don't know. Anyway, go see it. Like that that, <laughs> like, kind that of was like, all they had for you. That kind of like uh, uh, James Franco in Spring Breakers, like check out my shit marketing <laughs> campaign is only going to appeal to a certain kind of nerd. I just. Look. Not people who are like. And I also, I also think that like. In a lot of the way that Luc Besson talked about it, I think he felt like the comic had more cachet culturally than it does. Yeah. Especially well, overseas. In Europe, in Europe it does, right. obviously. Right. Now, I just read this uh, interview with Luc Besson where he was like, it's fine. I'm doing the accent. Uh, yeah. that, you know, Please, I have no idea ahead. what he sounds like. Yeah. Uh, I think he's a very nice man. Uh, but like the old people will see Dunkirk and the young people will see Valerian. And I was like, what are you fucking smoking? No one's seeing Valerian. Yeah. Like. That's not the play. The play isn't we get to share the audience right, here. Right. The kids love Dane DeHaan. <laughs> I love yeah. Valerian. We're going to talk about it one day. I yeah. hope. Yeah, we'll I think see. we'll have a lot of fun. We'll see. I think it'll be a testy episode. I think you'll get very angry. Uh, yeah, I'm going to get real mad with you. Yeah. Uh, uh, Despicable Me 3, Baby Drivers Hanging Around. That had a great run. The Big Sick, which has had a very nice run this summer. Wonder Woman. Good yeah, it's been an okay summer. I yeah. think it's been an okay summer. There's been a lot of nice original movies to root for, and then a lot of crap that you just kind of have to ignore. Yeah, it's I've I've seen a, a lot of films I liked. I mean, I actually really liked War for the Planet of the Apes, which I didn't like. Yeah. We were on opposite poles on yeah. that one. I know you liked that one a lot. Yeah, yeah, and I but it was I mean, but that opened the week before. Dunkirk, yeah, it did. right. And I mean it, that it too, opened okay and plummeted. Yeah, yeah. It really underperformed. It, yeah, yeah. It, it actually did underperform, and that was, you know, unfortunate as far as I'm concerned. But it was really that also seemed like a bit of a misstep. Like yes. the, the week before yes. Dunkirk, week before Dunkirk, so, a very bleak movie. Like and, very and bleak. Planet of the Apes is as well. Like they're similarly kind of like brutal. Yeah, like know? kind of yeah. a war movie. Like big yeah, ass. It is I mean, a war. It's yeah, called it's right. War of the Planet right. of the Apes. Yeah, yeah and, and I mean, I actually think that the uh, there's quite a bit like the Venn diagram between the people who are interested in War of the Planet War for the Planet of the Apes and people who are interested in Dunkirk is you know. It overlaps. It overlaps it, quite a bit. I agree. It's especially yeah. confusing because of how yeah. barren August is. I know it's been weird. Um, there's like no movies coming out this. But week. there's also this apart weird, from Tula Fever. There's yeah. There's this weird thing uh, that happened this summer uh, that I think is largely positive, where a lot of those like uh, you know civic duty. I guess it's my obligation to go see its sequels and franchises that everyone Transformers, uh, yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. Sure. Yeah. Uh, there's another. There big were a one lot I'm of mistakes made. This where, the, where these like. 
series finally started bombing. Yeah. Well, right. Well, I think where it was just like, it's fine. It'll do okay here and really well overseas. And instead it was like, it did terribly here yeah. and okay overseas. Right. Yeah. And people like, were like, look, no one likes these movies. They haven't liked the last three, but we can make another one. These idiots will go see it. And people yeah. started rejecting them. It's a them. weird miscalculation yeah, I, 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 on those I, I, two fronts. Yeah, I wrote There's an article. another one I'm forgetting yeah, that falls yeah. into that. I yeah. wrote an article a couple of years ago that never ran basically around this idea. It's like, what happens when the franchises start collapsing? I mean, because, yeah. yes. because there is, you know, there's always the expectation that one or two might might fail, but sure. which is why each studio has so many of them. Um, but they're really, I mean, they're, I got the sense this summer, even though I saw a number of them that were quite good, I really got the sense this summer that it has begun. They, yes. they, they are, they are yes. starting to, I mean, even- yeah. These I, so, structures yeah. are collapsing. Right? I, I feel like Fate Cars of the 3 even fits Fate into of the, the Furious, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cars 3, Fate yeah. of the Furious yeah. didn't do as well, yeah, I mean, maybe it did, as it they did hoped. Well, it did fine. But it the did last it. two did so well. Right, yeah. uh, Kong and, Skull Island was a play that was sort of a half-hearted franchise yeah. play that didn't quite work. Yeah. The Mummy, obviously, was oh, this sort of like out-of-the-box franchise where they're like, you guys want to see this, right? Right, Tom Cruise. What could possibly go wrong? All right, we gotta we gotta wrap up, but uh, but but I think that makes Nolan more and more it's powerful. a good ending. It for keeps the Nolan on boosting series, yeah. his kind of legacy that it's like he's this guy who's still making original movies, and it seemed in defiance of all these franchises that would work in spite mm. of audiences hating them. They would yes. still keep on going. He cracked the code. He cracked the code, and now that they're you know the franchise model is starting to become less and less reliable. Hopefully, I don't know. Hopefully, it will empower studios to give more people Nolan type chances. If sure. not that big out of the gate, you know, mm-hmm. let them go out on a limb because because blank check movies don't exist as much as they used to. It used to be if you made a big superhero movie that was really successful, and then you got to make your own crazy passion project. And now it's like the if Book you, of Henry, right? Right, you know. <laughs> but but so often now it's like you do the big franchise movie, so then you can get another franchise movie. You, like, you do it so you can get a Star Wars. You can really right. graduate to the next level of franchise. Like, you look at Justin Lin, who, like, revived Fast and Furious, and it's like, okay, this guy has a meal ticket now. He can make whatever he wanted. And then for years, it was like, he's thinking about rebooting Terminator. Like, he was going to direct Genesis, and then he ended up doing the third Star Trek, and now he's going to make a Hot Wheels movie. He almost made, like, a Bourne movie. It's like, yeah, shouldn't Justin Lin be able it's to go into a studio right, and find a spec on. script and yeah. go, like, I want to make an original action movie for $80 million? Hasn't he earned that position if he has, like, a big enough star in the lead role? Yeah. But it doesn't really happen. And Nolan's kind of the one guy who's, like, calling the bluff of the studio and being mm-hmm. like, I made these fucking Batman movies for you. Let me make my movie about the the cruelty of time over and over <sighs> and over again. Yes. Um, so that's Christopher Nolan. That's the, the Christopher yeah. Nolan We might series. do a bonus episode, but not next week. No. Nope. Because scheduling's been crazy, guys. Really but don't weird. worry. Yes. It's all good. Everything coming out is good. Yes. Uh, hopefully next time you hear from me, I will be more well rested. Nah, you're all right. I'm not. No, but you never, fine. you never deserve. Oh, well, thank you. So next week is our episode on the Devil Wears Prada. Next week we have That's a special right. treat for you. It's a a one off special with my 19 year old sister Romilly right. Newman. Yes, we talk about her favorite movie of all time, The Devil Wears Prada. It was a great episode. We've already recorded. it. I think it's really fun. Yes. Yeah. And then should we? debut well, the we next. Well, we know Bigelow's next, right? We've announced that. Well, let's make sure let's we make, make it, it official. Yeah, yeah, Hyperformal. Yeah. The week after that, you will get The Loveless. Yeah. You ever seen The Loveless, Bill? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is it good? I've never seen it. I like it. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be a blockbuster episode How do you feel about Catherine Bigelow in general? I like her. I have my, my hot take, quote unquote, on Catherine Bigelow is that I'm not a big fan of the Hurt Locker. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But 
I love K nineteen. I think that is a masterpiece. Yeah, that is I quite get, a hot take. Yeah, K nineteen and um, <laughs> it's true. yeah, it's a nuclear and, take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, no. Um, but I mean, I I love our Zero Dark Thirty is incredible. Yes. I, I saw Strange Days again recently, and mm-hmm. that movie is. It is hard to believe that that movie exists. That's that's sort of the uh, the bedrock of the blank check uh, yeah. argument for Catherine Bigelow is Strange Days. That is yeah. a wacky movie. It's got it's, cool future drugs. Uh, it, yes, it does. Strange Days though, it's like if you look at the um, the big studio flops of Oscar uh, of of I think 1983 and 1984, uh. which are I believe um, uh, Streets of Fire. Sure. <laughs> and uh, what's the other one? The it was a Brain Scan. Uh, Never. Oh, oh, oh! The Christopher Walken one. Yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. what we're talking about? Is it, yeah. Uh, uh, Christopher Walken, Natalie Wood. The movie that Natalie right. Wood was working on when she that died. She died on. It's yeah. not Brain Scan. That is an Edward Furlong movie. What That's why I was what confused. I think, uh, brainstorm. Uh, brainstorm. Brainstorm. Yes. Okay. yes. Yeah. Those two. Like Strange Days is basically those two movies put together, smashed together. <laughs> and wow. she was involved, sort of involved with Streets of Fire. I think she was the one who. Suggested Willem Dafoe for the part, right? Interesting. Um, and James Cameron was apparently apparently had an office next to uh, Walter Hill and Larry Gross. I guess he was working on either Aliens or uh, Terminator while they were working on. Probably the Terminator, I would guess. It's yeah. around the same time. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'm convinced that embedded in the DNA of Strange Days is uh, Brainstorm. Our Brainstorm. Yes, you're right. The Bigelow re- recommended Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, all we'll, right. We'll be talking about that next. Yes, week? we'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks. We'll be talking about all kinds of things. Yes, we're yes. Gonna, we're gonna keep talking. I promise you that. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try to get some sleep in, <laughs> and then we're gonna keep talking. Yes. Uh, thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Uh, check out our Reddit for some real nerdy shit. Thanks to and for Guda for our social media, Joe Bowen and Patrick Reynolds for our artwork, Lee Montgomery for the theme song. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. People can follow you on Thank Twitter. You. Yes. My name, Bilga Abiri, and they can read my reviews in the Village Voice. That's right. And Please do. Good, yeah. good reviews. Thank you. I like them. I give your reviews two thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, Griffin. You just embarrass everyone we bring on this show. Uh, yes. Hey, look, I give your reviews zero wormy apples, so you don't have to worry about that. I'm not going to pull a Neil Rosen on you. Um, yeah. 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 See you guys next week. And, uh, yeah. Finish it up, Griffin. You're the man who finishes the episodes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> and, and as always, mm-hmm. is going to Dunkirk is, is we. Great. Just what I need. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. That's great. That's great. I'm very happy.